An address. What's that? A safe house in Paris. Why would I need a safe house in Paris? Should things at some point go terribly wrong, it's good to have a place to go. You know, for a cup of tea. My brothers. My sisters. The clock is ticking faster. My dream. We who live for truth, for love. The moment has come to take our rightful place in the world where we wizards were free. Join me. Or die. The wizarding and non-wizarding worlds have been at peace for over a century. Grindelwald wants to see that peace destroyed. You want me to hunt him down? To kill him? Dumbledore, why can't you go? I cannot move against Grindelwald. It has to be you. You don't suffer from motion sickness, do you? I don't do well on boats. You'll be fine. <laughs> Do you know why I admire you, Nick? You do not seek power. You simply ask, is the thing right? The time's coming when you're going to have to pick a side. No, I don't do sides. What are you going to do? I think it's nothing. Mute, you never met a monster you couldn't love. Let's take him. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Greetings and salutations to all, and welcome to the IPC Podcast, also known as the Intergalactic Peace Coalition. And we are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com and also on StarWarsUnderworld.com and iTunes and Google Play and, well, everywhere. Anywhere you want to listen to podcasts, we'll, we'll, we'll be there for you. And uh, we got another awesome show for you guys tonight. Yes, I'm saying that again, because it's true every single week. Every time I say it, it's true, because we have a fantastic show. Can't wait to get into it. But before we um, dive in, let me introduce my co-host, my good friend, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what's going on? Who are you? Who are you? Who are, who are you? You never introduced yourself. Oh, I didn't introduce myself, did I? See, I'm all screwed <laughs> up. <laughs> 
It's, it's just been some, a long day. It's just I'm, some random stranger talking to me on the look, internet. Look, 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 I'm I'm running on like two hours sleep right now. So stranger just give danger. me a break. Stranger danger, my friend. Just ah, creepy. No, nah, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm Neb. My name is Neb. Neb Tar. Tra. Neb Tra. Yeah, it's Neb, Neb Tra. Believe Neb, me, I've already worked this out. It's Neb Tra. <laughs> it's Neb Tra and 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 Kaz. As in, not from the Kazuda cast. Sorry. Uh, we gotta I'm, get you on Kazuda cast. You are Kaz. I, I am Kaz when you're talking to me backwards, yes. Um, but no, I, I'm Zach, and I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to talk about what we've got to talk about tonight. It's kind of been a long time coming, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm glad that we're finally around to it. Uh, I'm bummed that... Uh, we don't we don't have our our third member joining us into the into this particular universe tonight, yes. but uh, I I think we have some ideas in the works on how we can bring them back when their schedule is more available. Mm-hmm. And uh, this may not be our final trip to the Wizarding World. I'll put it that way. I would way. hope not. I would hope not. Well, I mean, um, th- th- this this franchise alone is slated for like what three more films, so it's kind of a guarantee that we're not we're not quite done with this yet. No. No, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. And by the way, we're coming back to Harry Potter, guys. We're going to be talking about Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald tonight. Um, yeah. As you said, long time coming. It's all been leading up to this. But as as you said, um, hopefully this won't be the end. This won't be the grand finale. We're going to save that for a little later. Get Dominic back because he's been a lot of fun. And huge, huge shout out to him. I'll brag oh, yeah. on him while he's not here. Um just been a fantastic co-host for us and has really been added added so much to the show because we're harry potter noobs guys we're we're, this is new to us you know he's the super fan he is the true blue fan of harry potter so you know it's been nice to get his insight and stuff like that i'm looking forward to hearing his uh his review of crimes of grindelwald hopefully we'll get that at a later date but for right now we're gonna get into it, and of course, we got some. We got a bit of news to cover before we dive right into the discussion topic, don't we? Yeah, there's a few things that have kind of come up in the in recent uh, moments, days, weeks, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's 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 been a, there's been some pretty interesting stuff, but but one that really caught my attention, mostly just because this sounds like I'm not even kidding. This sounds like an old game of one, two, three. <laughs> yeah. For those of you that are longtime listeners of the IPC podcast, we played a game at one time where we would list off three different uh, actors and actresses, and then we would try and guess whether that was actually from a movie or if it was a fake one that we made up, and then we had like a point system. Well, we play it every now and again when we've got like an unplugged episode or a top five or something like that. It's it's not a common game that we play every week now, but uh, honestly, when I saw the promo image for Pixar's newest original film, Onward, I got kind of excited just because of these three names. Get a load of this. We've got Chris Pratt, Tom Holland... <laughs> and Julie Louise Dreyfus headlining this movie. Wow. I have no idea what the plot is. I have not a clue as to what Onward means, the timepiece, the setting, who the characters are. We just have names. And I got to tell you, this kind of teaser is the kind of stuff that I live for. 
to just know who's going to be in it and to see a logo, knowing that we're going to be getting this film was enough to get me excited about it just by the names. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that cast. I mean, they announced that we know pretty much nothing about this movie. Like, I mean, pretty much, I, I, I just, like, read the synopsis. Apparently the synopsis reads as follows. Disney said the day that the plot centers around two teenage elf brothers who embark on a quest to discover if there is still a little bit of magic left out there. Whatever that means. I don't really care about the plot. I'm just I'm just excited that Star-Lord and Spider-Man and and uh and all these other characters are going to be And Elaine from Seinfeld. Yeah, Come yeah. on, man. I should Yeah, know. I so I mean I hadn't Yeah, of course. I I I live for 90 sitcoms, dudes. Like like Friends? Come on. That is you you've heard me talk about Friends plenty of times. You you should know you should know me well enough by now that uh, what is it? Friends, Frasier, and Seinfeld are probably three of my favorite TV shows of all time. It's as far as as far as like things that I know the most about that I have seen the most times. It's for me. It's Star Wars number one, MCU number two, and Seinfeld number three for me. Like that's very that's, fair. That's, that's that's my top three. That's um, very fair. I, I I grew up on Seinfeld. And that's not the best show to grow up on, to be honest. No, really isn't. <laughs> I don't know if you should be going around bragging about that. But uh, I was I was kind of the same way with Seinfeld and with Friends. Um, I remember seeing them on the TV, and then my parents would, like, flip the channels kind of immediately. And then they would, like, send me to bed, and I'd hear the Seinfeld theme music playing after I go to bed. It'd be like, do-do-do-do-do-do. And then I'd hear my parents <laughs> laughing. In the other room, and I'd be like, "What is so funny?" And then, you know, the magical thing called Hulu came out, and I actually got to find out for myself. So maybe one of these days we'll have to have a, a Seinfeld episode, the way we had a Frasier episode. But yeah, I I, di- I digress. Um, this is actually the first that I've heard about the the plot at, in any capacity. Um, just just by what you talked about, you said a uh, two elf brothers. I'm imagining that's going to be Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. I would assume to discover know. if there's still magic out there. So the elves don't have the magic; they're searching for the magic. Um, this movie's supposed to come out March of 2020. Obviously, Toy Story 4 is getting all of the 2019 attention, rightfully so. But it's nice to know that they're working on something original again, because we've had. Our sequels. We've had Cars three. We've had you know Toy Story four coming out. We had a prequel with Monsters University. It's not that I dislike sequels. I mean, Finding Dory wasn't exactly the best Pixar movie of all time. Like when we did our top five Pixar movies, I think Dory got like one point or something like that. Like it, it just wasn't. It didn't make a big enough splash, if you'll pardon the pun. And so to have original content again, I think is really big because I I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time we had original content, it might have been The Good Dinosaur. Yeah, and that didn't do very well. No, the the, the box office numbers weren't that great for that one either. No, that one. But I, I am just a big fan of 
new. And what's what's interesting is, you know, Chris Pratt's kind of made a name for himself as a voice actor from the Lego movies and also as Star-Lord, Tom Holland, obviously. But this isn't the first time that Julia Louis-Dreyfus has been involved in a Pixar film. She yeah. was Princess Ada in A Bug's Life 20 years ago. Whoa, wow, that's a throwback. That's a big throwback. That's one of the first Pixar movies to ever come out. And uh, it's just nice to know that she still has a good working relationship with them and that they're inviting her back. Um, it would be it would be kind of interesting if they're like the teeny tiny little elves and Ada actually makes a cameo encountering the elves. I think that would be hilarious. Well, but, I mean, that's what I'm thinking now is like, okay, how does Onward fit into the Pixar theory? Exactly. Like, how, how does it do that, you know? Exactly. And and if, if it's elves, how are you going to fit the Pizza Planet truck in there, you know? <laughs> and, and, and how are you going to get A113 in there? Like, I'm thinking about all the different little Pixar Easter eggs that you've got to be able to throw in there based on this story. Uh, what kind of character is John Ratzenberger going to play? You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking all these outside the box things. Um, but, uh, Dan Scanlon is going to be the director of the film and he directed monsters university. And he says, uh, at Pixar, we try to create stories that come from some kind of personal truth. This film was inspired by my own relationship with my brother. Let me see. Um, this movie, he said at the time, is a mix of the fantastic and the everyday. Elves, sprites, and pretty much anything that would be on the side of a van in the 70s. <laughs> wow. So now I can't help but wonder what the timepiece is going to be, you know? When is this movie going to be set? As much as I'm thinking, like, where, you know? Like, is it going to be in the woods? Yeah. Are they going to be, like... Are they going to be like cookie baking type elves or are they going to go on a quest for magic and they're just going to gradually work their way up north until they encounter a certain jolly old man in a red suit? Like the possibilities are, are, are definitely out there and I'm curious to see how they take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like an interesting story and, and you know, as much as I've enjoyed some of the sequels, like I like really like Incredibles 2. Like I think that's where Pixar exceeds, and even when, even when it's not successful, like Good Dinosaur, and I'm sure that's not the only one that that's probably under underperformed. Um, ultimately, it's nice to see a studio just going out of limb and going, okay, here's a new story, something completely new. You know, we're not focused on franchises; we're just telling good stories, and that's what's so great about Pixar. I'm excited, man. Yeah. I'm I'm very excited. There there's still plenty of room for speculation. Uh but I don't know if we have enough time for such speculation because we do have other things to talk about tonight. And we've got another big casting bit of news um from a, another part of the uh, another wing of the Disney conglomerate, another branch of the umbrella, right? Um going over to Lucasfilm and Star Wars, and of course, yeah. we've already talked a lot about The Mandalorian, which is the new... The um, what now? Si the what? The, uh, who knows who The Mandalorian actually is. Okay, I'm a feminist, and it shouldn't be called man. It should be The Woman Delorean. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's I not am go there! I'm offended, you sexist pig. 
Oh God! I'm here. I can already hear the tweets. Uh, the tweets. Just ignore him, please. Um, the Mandalorian is has its official cast that is just was just released this week. Um, we've been hearing a lot of rumors, a lot of set photos, stuff like that. But we we got the cast finally, and lo and behold, yeah, Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian. They came right out and said it. He has been cast in the title role. And uh, in addition, we've got a bunch of other people from a bunch of different other things, some very unexpected. We've got Gina Carano from Deadpool. We've got Nick Nolte, who needs no introduction. Um, Carl Weathers, also no introduction, but you know him from Predator and you know Apollo Creed and all that kind of stuff. Um, Werner Herzog, which is an interesting choice because he's generally a director, not really an actor. Um, we've got, um, and I know I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Gina Giancarlo Esposito. Pretty darn that. close. Pretty I'm, I'm, darn I'm, close. I'm going with that. I'm going with that. Um, of course, he's from Breaking Bad. Um, Emily Swallow from Supernatural. And Omid Abtahi from American Gods. Also from The Clone Wars. He was a voice in The Clone Wars previously. A very, a very, a very small role, but a Mandalorian role nonetheless. Yeah. So there's plenty of speculation out there, like people wondering, is this character going to be showing up again? I'll put it simple for you. No. (laughs) I'm just going to shoot that bird down out of the sky right now, put it on a rotisserie, and have it for supper. No. No, no. I think they're skin tones, as Dominic pointed out, and I I didn't even notice. Um Skin tones are very different for, for for this guy and his character in Clone Wars, so probably not going to happen. I, I um, mean, he, besides, other... like, I think this guy would have to be, like, if he was, like, you know, 18 in the Clone Wars, he'd have to be, like, you know, 50 by the time of The Mandalorian. Yeah, the, the timing just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't work. But, I mean, it would be like if Steven Stanton was cast in this, you know? Right. The actors don't have to be typecast to one particular role. I enjoy Steven's work both as Admiral Raddus and as Tarkin, you know? Right. Pe- people people are allowed to be more than one character in a particular universe. We, at, I mean, listen, look, listen, look at it this way. We stood outside the Chinese theater in Hollywood two years ago as of almost this day. To, d- to this day. To this day, yeah. To this day. It was this day two years ago that my Southwest flight was sabotaged by iJustine, and I won a free Nintendo 3DS XL. <laughs> Best story and then, ever. And then I landed and almost got killed by my bus driver, who thought that two inches of space was enough to move your entire 20-foot-long bus into uh, into a lane. I finally show up in downtown Hollywood just in time for Stephen Stanton to send over about 30 Domino's pizzas to the waiting fans that were hanging out in the forecourt of the TCL Chinese Theater, including you guys. Yeah. I, like, it was two years ago, and I still remember all that because I had the time of my life. It Absolutely was amazing. amazing time out there. But my point is, right before we went to see Rogue One, literally as we're about to go into the theater, Stephen Stanton shows up himself, and we knew he was in the movie. He'd been hinting about it. And we're like, oh, yeah, you're playing Tarkin, aren't you? Of course, he's not saying anything. He wasn't playing Tarkin. Right. We didn't right. know that, and we're ribbing him about it. And we had no idea who Radis was. But then we go in and see the movie, like, holy crap. Like, Steven, like, he wasn't playing Tarkin, but, like, Radis is rad. He's awesome. We Everybody loves Radis. So, and, I mean, I think Steven Stanton may have the record for, like, the most roles in Star Wars. Like, he had, like... 
several like main characters in Clone Wars, several main characters in Rebels. Um, he's has a has a role in Resistance, um, and he's been in the films as Radis and probably a few other characters. Um, so and he's amazing. So that that's just like an example of like, you know, don't don't typecast these people as only playing one character. Like there's so many different characters. Steven Stanton is is a prime example of just being so versatile. Yep, absolutely. So. Omen of Tahi is going to be no different. Uh, Werner Herzog is one that I wanted to, to touch on mm-hmm. for just a second there because you're right. He's, he's predominantly a director. But you know who else was predominantly a director and then they pulled him out of the director's chair to play a pretty crucial role in a groundbreaking movie? Uh-huh. N- none other than uh, a little, little old man by the name of Richard Attenborough in, oh. a, in a little old flick called Jurassic Park. Ha, ha, ha. I think I think Herzog could be playing like a an either an advisory role or an eccentric old man kind of role potentially. But again, not to typecast, I'm just thinking this is the beauty of being able to bring in somebody who has been in different positions of film. Not only does he have experience as an actor, but he has experience as a director, and I feel like that's just going to permeate from his character. And I'm excited to see that. Uh, I'm also excited to see Nick Nolte. Mm-hmm. I was, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of a funny story, actually. The thing that I actually know Nick Nolte from isn't affliction or, you know, being the, the, the guy who does the heavy smoking on, on beer commercials or anything like that. I know him as the voice of Vincent the Bear from the movie Over the Hedge. Oh my gosh. Do you wow, remember that a, movie? I do, I do. It's funny, it's funny, real quick, I gotta, I gotta connect this around, and, and, and trust me when I say I'm gonna bring this back around. Okay. I played the video game version of Over the Hedge. Oh, wow. Not too long ago. And I, of course, the, the, the title role, I think, is played, or, or the main character is played by um, Bruce Willis. It is. In the movie. But I started playing the game, which a friend of mine had, and... I hear, um, I can't remember his name, but he starts talking. I'm like, I know that voice. Like, it's not Bruce Willis, but it's a voice I know. Like, I don't just know this voice. I know that guy. It's Steven Stanton. No way. Yeah. He voiced RJ the squirrel in, yeah. not not the squirrel, the raccoon. Raccoon, yeah. In the Over the Hedge video game. Yes. How funny. It's funny. It really how, is. How, how funny. It's. It's also kind of sad that that movie flopped. Like, really? It did? Wow. It, well, okay, so it's not very well received among the DreamWorks community, and I don't feel like it did very well at the box office. And obviously they never made a sequel, so it doesn't have like a big enough following to warrant bringing the movie back. But, oh my gosh, the cast that they had in that movie was amazing. They mm-hmm. had Nick Nolte, they had Bruce Willis, Gary Shandling, uh, William Shatner, uh, Avril Lavigne, who's now a, a really popular singer. Uh, this was back when she was still trying to figure out what she wanted to do in the entertainment industry. And uh, who else did they have? Oh, yeah. Steve Carell. Oh, wow. Was the voice of Hammy the Squirrel. So I remember that, yeah. I mean, it was it was a really solid cast, and it was pretty funny. It just, I I guess it just didn't get the following that it deserved. But yeah, that's where I know Nick Nolte from. 
And Pedro Pascal, you may know him from Narcos, or you may know him from Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle. I know him as the Viper from Game of Thrones. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Pedro Pascal's role in Game of Thrones is possibly one of my favorite characters, if not my my very favorite character in Game of Thrones. Uh, the the way Oberyn Martell carries himself in the movies, in, in the episodes that he's got. It feels like a movie because it's just such great cinematic quality. Right. But the way that Oberyn Martell carries himself, the depth of character that he's got, the fact that he's out to avenge the death of his sister, like he's carrying himself with a code of honor. I cannot wait to see how he carries that over into something like Star Wars. Wow. Like we we know we know his action prowess and we know his his prowess as a swordsman both from Game of Thrones and from Kingsman. Have you seen The Golden Circle by any chance? I have not seen either one of the Kingsman movies and I'm kicking myself cuz I, I I really I those look really good. That may be something we need to add to our list for 2019 then. I I'm game. I, I'm raising my hand right now. I'm game. I feel like it would be a good way to ease you into Pedro Pascal's acting abilities without mm-hmm. having to expose you to the the depth and intensity that both Narcos and Game of Thrones have. Right. I will say, though, his southern accent that he tries to pull off in the Golden Circle is not that well done. Oh, really? He does a southern accent? He tries to do like a southern slash Texan accent. And oh, it doesn't it doesn't go very well because it, you know that that he's got latin descent to him obviously right uh, i want to say peruvian but I, I don't quote me on that um but he he tries a southern accent because that's kind of the part that he's been asked to play is that of a southerner but um it just uh it doesn't it doesn't go very well either he's that a, or he's chilean american Chilean, okay, so okay. He's, he's... Why do you why do you cast a Chilean American <laughs> to play a, some country dude as a Southerner? I don't know, dude. But I mean, he's a good actor. I understand, like the draw. But like, come on, let him use his own voice. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is what it is, and it's still a fun movie. It's not as good as the original Kingsman, but it's still a fun movie. I've heard that. Yeah, and uh, it's got it's got a, it's got a pretty good ending, actually. Um, the the main villain of Golden Circle was uh, the leading lady opposite uh, a certain Jeff Goldblum in The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Julianne Moore, I believe her name is. Yes. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. her One of, one of her big roles early in her career was as Sarah Harding from The Lost World. Yeah. Yeah. And look how far she's come from saving the dinosaurs to... Making everybody drug addicts. Oh, jeez. Um, Pedro Pascal also is going to be in uh, Wonder Woman 1984 coming up. Oh, is he? I hadn't heard that. Yeah, yeah. June I'm, 5th, I'm... 2020, so that's still a ways off. They pushed that back, I forgot. Yeah, you're right. They did move that back, which I'm not too terribly upset about because uh, I feel like it's going to take a while for people to get over Aquaman anyways. Oh, yeah. Plus, I mean, 
2019 is going to be crowded anyway, so it's probably better. Well, off. they're also they're also making Shazam in 2019, aren't they? I believe so. Yeah, yeah I think we got the trailer think, earlier this year, so it's got to be coming out next year. Yeah, I think I think Shazam's coming out spring of next year in an attempt to compete with Captain Marvel. I'm not sure how well that's going to go. <laughs> They've got how did the how did DC and Marvel manage this? They went from having both of their superhero versus movies in the same year, 2016, Batman v Superman. Captain America Civil War, and now they're having both Captain Marvel movies. Um, for those who don't know, Shazam was once Captain Marvel, and they changed it. But, like, both Captain Marvel movies in the same year. Um, nuts. So let me see. Uh, da, 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 da. The movie was originally planned back in 2010, and it didn't didn't get picked up. But, yeah, it's set to come out April of 2019, so it's just a few weeks after Captain Marvel and a couple of weeks before Endgame. So it's going to be right in the middle of all that, and I don't, mm. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best place for it or not. But... We're talking about Shazam, right? Yeah, we're talking about Shazam when we should be talking about the Mandalorian. But <laughs> whatever. Uh, tangent after tangent after tangent. Um... We're just we're just full of so many great ideas and thoughts. We just can't keep them all to one or two articles. Let's yeah. put it that way. Well, bringing it back around, um, I'm totally amped for this. Um, it's going to be coming out. Apparently, I think the, the official word on this as of late is late 2019. And I'm assuming it's going to be a launch title with Disney+. Plus. No no confirmations on that front. That's just what I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. And they're already talking about how it's going to be a problem for like overseas people. Like people in Europe, because yeah. like it's not going to be coming out for them, and that really sucks. Because like Star Wars fans aren't only in America, guys. <laughs> they're not. They're not well, just in the U.S. Um, well, they're all they, over the world. What they What they did with uh, Star Trek Discovery was they put it on CBS All Access for U.S. viewers, and then released it to Netflix for the rest of the other countries. Maybe that's it. I don't know if Disney. Disney I don't, is going to want to have a relationship with Netflix like that after. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm expecting that necessarily, not like that specifically. But I feel like there's, there's got to be another way to distribute it that is already on, you know, international platforms. I think they still, they still do stuff with Hulu. So I think maybe that, maybe Hulu would be an option for international people. It could um, be. Or, you know, they could just um, pull a Jack Sparrow. If they don't do it, then that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's true. That is that is very true. Um, uh, outside of Game of Thrones, I want to say Star Trek Discovery was one of the uh, highest rated um, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, <laughs> That that you could that you could experience on the interwebs. Guess who predicted that? Us. Yep. 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 I called it, but I digress. Um, it's so, still gonna so be fun. Still gonna let me be let good. me ask you. Let me ask you. Do you feel like the day Disney Plus launches is the day the Mandalorian shows up? I don't know. I don't know how. Cause like, like, as, like as soon as you launch it, as soon as it's up, people subscribe, they sign in. One of the first options that they see available for them to watch is The Mandalorian. I feel like that's in Disney's best interest to do that. I feel like they're going to be timing this. 
with that. And they're going to have maybe one of these other Marvel shows too. And that's going to get people to go sign up for it. If they know that day one, it's online, you can watch The Mandalorian, you can watch the Loki show or the Winter Soldier and Falcon show or whatever else they're cooking up. Um, you know, they, they've got, I believe, uh, Lady and the Tramp. I think it's going to be coming. Is 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 a live action version of that? It's going to be coming exclusively to Disney Plus. Um, so they've got a lot of stuff coming, and you know, I'm sold because Mandalorian. Like if it was, that was the only thing, and Clone Wars and all this kind of stuff. Another Clone Wars is another thing. Like, is that going to be day one thing? I don't yeah. know. I I assumed prior to the Mandalorian announcement, I assumed Clone Wars would be the big thing. Now you've got three big things from Star Wars. You've got, well, I don't know if the movies are going to be on there, but you've got. Cassian show you got Mandalorian you got Clone Wars, um, I believe Cassian's gonna be coming later, but at the same time who knows? Yeah, I'm picturing, I'm picturing this to have a release before the holidays next year, so that people can maybe give it as a Christmas gift or something. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but you're gonna want to have the opportunity for viewers who are like on break or on holiday vacation to be able to sit down and decide they're gonna watch Disney Plus. So I'm betting it's by mid-November. If it's if it's going to be the last quarter, it's going to have to be sometime in November, preferably before the Thanksgiving break in the states. So uh, if if they're going to be doing it at the tail end of 2019, I would think late October, early November would be your best bet. Yeah, that that seems like a good good place to do it, and it'll be. October, September, October would be a good time to do it and still not like overshadow episode nine. Yeah, that's the yeah that's also that's also true. You can't really be in competition with yourself, and if people are more excited for the Mandalorian than they are about episode nine, people may flock to Disney Plus rather than flocking to the theaters. So, yeah, I think I think if you're going to be releasing it in 2019, it needs to be almost simultaneous with the release of Disney Plus so that people have enough time to watch it and get it out of their system before it's time for Episode 9. Right, right. And, you know, just just general, you know, discussion topics, of stuff like that, you don't want something being overshadowed because, you know, and in the same token, Episode 9 could overshadow The Mandalorian, um, you know, just being the streaming show versus the one of the biggest movies ever. Um, so that should be, you know, regardless gonna be good hopefully we'll get some stuff you know because we got there's a ton of star wars stuff coming out next year it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they they space all that out too there's definitely a lot in the works from the galaxy far far away for 2019 uh one of my favorites that i'm most looking forward to this isn't a, an article or, or a piece of information that you know we had discussed mentioning but uh after seeing the the photo from Disneyland, I am uh-huh. very, very excited for Galaxy's Edge. Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so on board. You were speechless, apparently. Yeah, I was there for a second. You are just like, oh. Like, I, mean, I, that, I don't that even photo, have the words, that, that man. Particular... It, it looks. That picture, that one I'm... picture of the man, of the Falcon like is amazing yeah yeah I, I can't help but wonder if we're having like internet lag issues because we keep overlapping our chatter sometimes i think there's a little bit of lag my internet is just uh sometimes so much fun 
So much fun. But I, I totally agree with you. Like that one particular image was enough to make me go, holy crap, this is real. Like they're they're making this as authentic as possible. They're making it as real as possible. And I love authenticity. The the thought of being able to go to Disneyland and take a picture in front of or potentially in the Millennium Falcon, like that would be the the seven or eight year old in me's dream coming true, you know? <laughs> Oh yeah. I don't I don't necessarily have to meet Harrison Ford. That would be pretty awesome. But to have that tangible experience of being aboard Han Solo's ship, I might pee my pants a little bit. <laughs> oh, yes. I totally understand. But you don't agree. You said you understand, but you don't agree, which means you know how to hold your pee better than I do. I mean, I, I don't want to turn this into a debate, but yeah. <laughs> uh no debate here my friend no debate here i'm i'm just super excited i'm ready for 2019 and for those of you that are listening um this is potentially our last episode of 2018 we we are in the talks of potentially doing a uh, a crossover event that would show up on the ipc feed but as far as official ipc episodes go uh, this is this is gonna be it, episode two eighteen for twenty eighteen, and then we're gonna have a little bit of time off and roll into twenty nineteen, talking about our five most anticipated movies of the year. And I gotta tell you, after all the teasers and all the trailers that we've gotten, all the big names that are coming out next year, that is probably gonna be one of the hardest top five episodes we've ever done. Yeah, so so true. It's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. I mean, I kind of have an idea of what I want to make a list of. Like, I know Endgame's going to be on there. I know uh-huh. Lion King's going to be on there. And Episode Nine's going to be on there. But where? Like, in what category? In what order? And then from there, you know, what are the other two that I'm going to, you know, be forced to choose from out of the other seven or eight that I know I'm going to go see? I, I very well may need to get, like... Uh, the the AMC premiere member or something like that, the one that our friend Armando has, I may have to get that pass next year just so that I can be able to afford going to all the stinking movies that I'm going to have to go see next year. Yeah, it's going to be basically end of the year go, oh, yay, I saw all of my all the movies that I wanted to see. Um, I'm living in a box now because I have no money. <laughs> um, but yay, movies! Hashtag priorities. And speaking of hashtags, we're going to be looking into our favorite hashtag a little later in the evening, so Uh be sure to stay tuned for that. But unless you have any other thoughts on The Mandalorian or Galaxy's Edge or 2019, Ben, uh, I think it's time to get into our discussion for the evening. I believe it is. I believe it's time to discuss Harry... Not Harry Potter. It's in the Harry Potter universe, but it's not Harry... But it's not called Harry Potter... Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. Or, or Grindelwald, as some Grindelwald. Say. Grindelwald. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a very fun name to say, and it's played by a very fun actor. Uh, I must say, Johnny Depp did not get as much screen time as I thought he would get for a movie that's literally titled after him. Yep. But he made the most out of the time that he had, I felt like. 
every time he was on screen, it was almost like attention was demanded to his presence. And that's the mark of a good actor. You know, he doesn't Mm -hmm. have to just play Captain Jack Sparrow. He doesn't have to just be Edward Scissorhands. He now has Grindelwald as one of his titles. And I feel like he plays that just as well as a lot of the other titular roles that he is known for. Just great, great job. He, I mean, okay, real quick, because I know if Dominic was here, he'd be talking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Johnny Depp has a checkered past. He has some personal issues in his life. All that, all that set aside, all that set aside, because even that kind of stuff is like, ah, that's, that's thing. It can kind of take you out of the movie sometimes, but for just looking at his performance, not paying attention to any of that, really great performance. Um, and I can see why they cast him in this role. Um, even though I can kind of understand why people are, you know, are kind of not okay with that casting. I mean, he's great in the role. He's absolutely fantastic. He's Johnny Depp. You you can expect no less from him. And, you know, he is... The whole character of Grindelwald is cool. I will... I tell you what, we'll, we'll save this just for non-spoilers right now. We'll get into spoilers just a little bit later. We won't get anything to anything spoiler thing, spoilery right now. But, uh, for Grindelwald himself, I, I really... I really like the character. He's, uh... You know, he's very different from... He's a different character just in general, but especially in general, in like, yeah, just especially within this Harry Potter universe, because we're used to the very, you know, you know, Voldemort, you know, like that dude, like is just all over the place. He's scary. He's, you know, he's very just, you know, emotional, all this kind of stuff. And Grindelwald is just a completely different kind of evil to the point where he really, and maybe that's one of my criticisms of the movie is like. You're told why he's a bad dude. You're told like, oh yeah, he's done all these horrible things. You don't really see them. Like there is, there the only like really bad thing he does in this whole movie is, I think he murders a family because they're going to the house that they're gonna hold yep. up in in Paris. Yep. And they, I think the, I think they killed the baby, which was kind of messed up. I was surprised by that. Um, but. Like, that's really the only thing. Like, I was, like, in Voldemort, I guess you could say the same thing, but, like, through the course of those movies, you understand why Voldemort is a force to be reckoned with, why he needs to be stopped, because he's doing horrible things. Like, one of the, you know, first things he does is, you know, try to kill Harry and and do all these horrible things. So, Grindelwald, I think, could have been introduced a bit better, but I still was intrigued enough by the character and Johnny Depp's performance to go, okay, this is, this is got me interested if even if i do have some gripes with the movie of course oh yeah 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 so i'm i'm trying to lead things in with the with some of the elements that i might have praise for because there are definitely some complaints that are going to derive from this film Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a, a lot of it has to do with the lore of harry potter that i've experienced you know from this wizarding world for the last year um, and, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, creativity of the story, shot selection, you know, some, some nitpicky things as well. And it's affected the overall score for me quite a bit. You know, when we get to planet scores, you're going to notice a, a pretty significant difference from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Fantastic Beasts, The Crime of the Grindelwald, which is unfortunate. 
because this franchise is getting five movies. This is only two of five. And I'm just nervous that if they don't pick up on the nuances that that did not get well received, that it's just going to spiral out of control. And I'm, I'm really, really sincerely hoping that that's not the case. Because this movie does have some things going for it. Some things that I did enjoy. But I don't know if the joy outweighs the stuff that bogged me down. If I, if, if, if I can put it that way. I, I was thinking about this earlier. I feel like this movie has Batman v Superman syndrome in a way. And what okay. I mean what I mean by that is it's it's a movie with a lot of good stuff in it, a lot of good ideas, but the execution is a bit off and it has a lot of stuff to deal with and it doesn't really nail anything. It's good from the standpoint of if you enjoy this universe and you enjoy these characters, you know, it's more of that. But it's also got so many different things going on. It's got like, I mean, throughout the majority of this movie, there's at least five different, you know, plot lines with, you know, 10 or 20, 10 or 15 characters um, that you're following. Um, and it's it's a lot to take in. And, and I think it would confuse, I think it's pretty, I was able to follow it. I, mean, I could see why someone would be confused by it, but also, you know, and there is one scene that I'll get to later that, I feel like it kind of falls apart. It kind of, you know, it, it's it's like, oh, they went there, and then they went there again, and it's like, holy crap. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I, I definitely, I enjoyed this movie for what it was. I definitely did, but I can definitely see where people are coming from that say, oh, you know, this is not, this is not my cup of tea, and it's, you know, it is, it is a very mixed bag. I love that you use that phrase because it's it's a it's actually one that I used right after getting out of the theater seeing this movie. Um, I was one of three people to watch it on a Thursday at eleven thirty in the morning. Here's the deal: I went there. I went at eleven thirty a.m. to my local din- dinner theater that was like a mile and a half away. I went there for the seven fifty ticket, which is pretty inexpensive, but I also went. Because the last time I saw a movie between the hours of 11 and noon, they had a breakfast menu that included mimosas. Oh. Little 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 movie called The Last Jedi, if you if you remember going to that place and watching me partake. That. Um I that was probably the most fun experience I've had watching The Last Jedi and it was because I was inebriated. Haha. Um but I went with the intent to get a mimosa to be able to loosen myself up a little bit, almost in anticipation. And you know what they told me? They told me they're only serving brunch on the weekends now. What? And I went there on a Thursday instead of a Saturday or a Sunday. I was so mad because I was like, well, gosh, dang it. And she offered me a regular menu, and I was like, "Uh, no, thank you. It was so unfortunate. But mixed bag. When I came out of that theater and I got on social media and started typing things out, I said something to the effect of, I have not seen such a mixed bag since I opened a container of Chex Mix. (laughs) 
And our friend Katie Horn, who's a patron here of IPC, tweeted me back and said, that's such a great analogy. Because there are some things in here that I deemed worth saving and others that I would just leave alone and would not have picked out or enjoyed. And that's basically what I was getting at. You know, there were some things in there that I really enjoyed. Some things that I thought were were clever and creative Easter eggs and that sort of thing. And then there were other things that just didn't make sense and felt kind of off-putting, felt a little weird at times. It's it's not a perfect film by any means, but uh, hopefully we can we can do a little salvaging, a little damage control before we bash it at the very end. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I hear so you. it opens. It opens in 1927, which is actually kind of a big deal because uh, towards the end of the movie. By the way, we're going into spoilers now. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the movie. Going into spoilers, this is your official spoiler alert. Um, not going to be saying it again, so haha, too bad. Um, it opens in 1927, which is kind of a big deal because when Grindelwald calls his followers at the end of the film, he shows them a vision of the 1940s. Yeah. Which, yeah. that was pretty powerful to me. Because I'm almost sure they used yeah, that, that, some it took actual me a second. footage. Yeah, it actually took me a second to like, figure that out. Because I, I wasn't wasn't necessarily paying attention to like when it was set. And then when he showed like the mushroom cloud, I'm like, oh, this hasn't happened yet in this universe. Like this is still right. like this still World War Two is still, you know, 15, 20 years away. Right. Right. And he uses it as like a scare tactic. Like he, he's basically trying to manipulate the people in attendance saying if we let the nomadges loose and do their own thing, this is what's going to happen to the world. And I'm just like, whoa, like, this is what you use magic for. You prophesy. Like, that kind of prophecy was dark to me. See, I, I will, since you brought it up, I'm going to, I'm going to spell, spill my, my one complaint with one of many complaints, but my one, like, critique of that scene, like, the ending is pretty good. It's pretty, you know, after there's a one scene and it leads into the big battle at the end, which is pretty good. But, like, you have that one scene with, with Johnny Depp just being Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. It's great. He's having his big speech. And then everyone starts kind of turning and stuff like that. Like, I felt like that's the one place where, like, I get that you're trying to show that Grindelwald is this. He's not He's not ruling through fear like Voldemort is. He's someone who is manipulating people he's bringing people in he has a message that is that sounds good to at least these people in this room but like my my like critique of that is like it sounds too good like this is the one area where you have Grindelwald you can establish him as this is his plans they're not good plans let's stop him but instead he starts off by saying Oh, I don't hate nomadges. You know, they're useful, whatever. And it's kind of this, you know, thinly veiled, you know, kind of racist thing. But then he's like, oh, hey, this is what they're going to do in the future. Like, they're going to start wars like that. And you're like, well, he's, he's got a point. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's not exactly wrong. So, like, that's my whole problem with the whole thing is like, 
you you establish and and you're kind of like caught in the the trap of actually kind of sympathizing and agreeing with the villain, which is not something you should be doing. But how many times has that happened in a movie? I mean, people sided with Loki in the Avengers. Yeah, but, like, you see Loki, like, straight up murdering people, like, from the moment he steps on screen. Like, you know Loki is up to no good, and he's going to send an army. Like, we don't know what Grindelwald wants to do. Like, he just says what he doesn't want to do, and he says that he distrusts, and he thinks that no mages are, are up to no good, basically. And, you know, they need to be whatever. But he doesn't say what he wants to do with with, with uh, no mages or... Um, muggles or whatever so I don't know I don't know I'm kind of conflicted by it but at the same time I'm like come on so I mean I'm not I'm not gonna try and like persuade you one way or the other but I do feel like there are certain instances throughout the course of the movie where he does kind of give some some ideas as to what his intent is and those thinly veiled messages that he gives to his followers at the meeting are meant as propaganda I feel like it, it's it's propaganda and fear mongering in order to get people to do the things that that he wants them to do. And by that token, I agree with you, George, uh, listening in with us in the chat says Grindelwald reminds me of Hitler. There are certain instances where I can see the similarities, yeah. you know, wanting wanting to, to achieve the superior race type of type of situation. Um, I get it. Uh, and, I, and I get the similarities. Uh, although I feel like Hux's speech in The Force Awakens sounded more like Hitler than even Hitler did at times. Oh, so, yeah, that's <laughs> yes. that was that was that was a, a, a even more deliberate parallel than the stuff that we got from Crimes and Grindelwald. I'm just going to throw that out there. But with his attempts at manipulating his followers the way that he does and his very, very loud overtures to uh, Nagini and, and Credence. I, I feel like he is rather showing his hand a little bit as far as what it is that he wants to do and how he wants to go about doing it. But like you mentioned, the execution's just a little off. And when the execution's a little off, it just makes everything feel rather distorted and convoluted, more so than it probably needs to be. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, and I think like... This movie is called The Crimes of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. And what exactly do we learn about The Crimes of Grindelwald? Well, he was supposed to stand trial, but then he escaped from that at the beginning of the film. Right, but like they like they mention like, oh yeah, he needs to stand trial for his crimes in Europe, but like they never say what he did. Like I'm not saying like telegraph it or like have some really boring explanatory dialogue, but like Give us some hints. Like, tell us, like, this guy's done the best. Like, I don't know his backstory. I don't know where he came from. And when his name's in the title, I feel like I should know the character a bit more than I already do. So I just did a quick search just to take a look at uh, some of some of the things that he was accused of. Let me Let me see if there's, like, an actual list of some of the allegations that were made against him. Um, do, 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 familiar faces set after the first film. No kidding. As the title suggests, Grindelwald escapes custody, sets about gathering his followers. Uh, 
Grindelwald's ascent represented a dark time for the Wizarding World, much like the rise of Voldemort. This is more or less an article, but it was very, very misleading because it seemed like they, that was the first thing they were going to talk about. Was what were some of the things that that he uh, that he actually did or that he committed? Set after the first film, we know that, and we know this. This is not very helpful at all. Well, you know what? You know what? This just plays into my point. You shouldn't have to Google it. It should be in the movie. You're right. You're right. And uh, I feel and like I our, our resident Pottermore expert, Mr. Jones, would be able to enlighten us quite a bit more than a simple sure. Google search would be able to this do. Is, this is why I want to maybe perhaps return to this topic at a future date and bring him in so we can have this discussion because – um, he can set us straight on a lot of things. And even so, even so, like, it shouldn't take someone explaining it. It should be in the movie. And I get there's more movies in this franchise to be told, but still, this is where you establish the character. This is where you say, Grindelwald, he's the bad guy. This is what he's about. This is what he's done. This is what he's planning to do. And this is why we got to stop him. And this is, you know, thing. And it's all set up at the end of this movie that... He has all his followers. He has some of the main characters as his followers. That's some of the good guys, quote, quote unquote, good guys. Um, but like you're, you're still, or at least I am. Maybe I just missed some stuff. I don't know, but I don't think I did. I think, I think it should have been, you know, it should have been in the in the in the movie. I think we should. I think I should have a better understanding of like who Grindelwald is, but I don't. Well. Yeah, I mean, you make you make a you make a good argument. Uh, he only had a uh, what do you call it? A glorified cameo at the end of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, right? And uh, so you kind of need a little bit more on him, just so that you think that he's he's a le- he's a legitimate villain for one. Like you need you need to be able to to question his uh, his legitimacy as a bad guy, right. and apparently he's he's very skilled in the dark arts from what I've been able to find. He's a, a very proficient dueler because it was a duel with uh, Albus Dumbledore's brother Aberforth that led to the dissolving of their friendship. Um, transfiguration and apparition divination, wandless and nonverbal magic. So, I mean, he's got he's got quite a uh, quite a repertoire as far yeah. as the things that he's capable of doing. But as far as what his actual crimes that he committed were, I'm having a hard time coming up with them. <laughs> I yeah. imagine I imagine murder is probably one of them. I imagine uh, affiliation with no matches maybe in there just because if he considers himself superior to them, then uh, he may have broken their code of conduct to a certain degree by performing experiments on no matches or something like that. Right. Um, I mean, and that's one of his thing is that is the, basically the relationship, obviously, you know, and that's, and that's a good, like a good place to start as far as like, Understanding him and not liking him and understanding that he's evil is because he obviously ha- holds contempt towards non-magic people. You right. Know? And that's just kind of a 
a shorthand kind of a, a comparison to, you know, Hitler and any racist out there that, you know, that throughout the ages that kind of had this master plan and was able to suck people in using racism and using things, you know, trying to demean people for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, really quick, um, not actually not really quick. I actually want to want to move a little bit towards kind of uh, Grindelwald's backstory because we do get a bit of that in this. This and, is true, and it also includes Albus Dumbledore, as you as you noted. And I want to ask you a question in regards to Dumbledore because this is one mm-hmm. of the things that I was looking forward to. What did you think of Jude Law as Dumbledore, as young Dumbledore? So I'm 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 going to echo some of the thoughts that I have seen on people's Tumblr pages and the like. Uh, this this movie was set in 1927. And uh, Philosopher Stone... Let me see if I can find that. When is Philosopher's Stone set to be? Uh, I don't know. 90s something? I want to say it's in the 90s. So somewhere between the 90s and when we have this movie in the 1920s, uh, I guess that's, what, 70 years? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, quick quick maths. I'm good at quick maths. Somewhere over the course of 70 years, Albus Dumbledore decided that it was much better to wear majestic robes and have a long beard than it was to wear a very sharp three-piece gray suit. <laughs> His appearance totally baffled me. Even, even with Jude Law's performance, which I thought was rather good, even with that... It was very, very hard to get away from the the visual component. Obviously, he's not the headmaster yet. So maybe he doesn't have as much free reign with the clothing and his attire at the time. But the visual just kind of threw me off because I wasn't expecting Albus Dumbledore to look like that. You know? Yeah. And... uh, I think the thing that clinched it for me, that that convinced me that Jude Law was Albus Dumbledore, was his scene on the bridge with Newt Scamander. Which, here's here's the other thing. That's our first mention of Newt in this whole discussion. (laughs) I'm telling you. This movie, this series, is supposed to be starring Newt and Scamander, and it took us an hour uh, on this podcast. Before we actually talked about Newton Scamander, which is a very odd thing, but that sequence that that Dumbledore had with him on the bridge, and his his mysterious nature, and he he tries to he tries to offer this uh, this opportunity to Newt, and Newt is not having much of it, and he's trying to come up with excuses, and Dumbledore doesn't play into it. He's like, okay, fine, if you don't want to go, then don't go, and he just disappears, and Newt's like, ah, oh, I can't believe you're doing that to me, man. And then he realizes that his glove was left behind with the card, with the address, stuffs it in Newt's pocket, and then the rest of him disappears. Seems like classic Dumbledore to me right there. Yeah, yeah. And to, to me, that sequence uh, was, was one of the ones that made me realize, okay, maybe there's something to this. Um, but what I don't know is if anybody 
could have done a better job. You know, I'm not saying Jude Law was perfect casting. Could somebody else have played that role? Maybe. But the fact that it was Jude Law, I think, made it a little bit better. And I'm curious to see uh, what kind of influence Jude Law's past may end up showing through into the character and to see what his interactions are going to be with the other students at the school. We got a little taste of it during the flashback sequence, but, you know, what does it look like today? How mysterious is he? How good of a teacher is he? That sort of thing. I think that is more along the lines of what I'm more interested in than even the story with Grindelwald. Yeah, yeah, and I was I was really excited to see Dumbledore in this one. I, I was really excited about the casting of, of Jude Law. I felt like that was a really good choice. And after the movie, I feel the same way, if not more so. Um, I feel like he's a really a bright spot in this movie. Like like I said, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but Dumbledore is great. He's Dumbledore. Going back to Hogwarts is great. Um, all that stuff is is really good and getting more backstory on him. Um, and then, you know, like I said, it tries directly into what's going on with Grindelwald. You know, even though it's not maybe explicitly said, it's pretty well in the movie that they're, you know, as Dumbledore says, they were more than brothers. They were, um, you know, they were pretty close. So much so that they swore not to fight each other. Um, and that's a big deal. It's a big, you know, thing in this movie. Um, and it's obviously going to come back in future movies, but... Swore a blood oath and all of that. Right. All right. Big deal. Big that's bigger, deal. That's bigger, that's bigger than a pinky promise. <laughs> you. Like you, got, a... you, got, you, got, you got promise, pinky promise, and then blood oath, and then selling your soul to the devil. We put our blood in a magic necklace, and that means we can't fight each other. I wonder if that does that stop them from fighting each other, or does that is that just like a promise that that they won't? I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not sure because with the magical component in there, it might be a physical thing. Like I'm thinking, there there I'm there thinking. may be some curse or some penalty associated with if any more blood is drawn by either of the blood that's mixed in these vials, then there will be punishment. I'm thinking it would probably since it was. It was Grindelwald's. Grindelwald had it. I'm thinking it's supposed to maybe protect the person since Dumbledore really couldn't attack him because or whatever. And Dumbledore, as we know in this story, is the only person who really, I mean, they explicitly say that he's the only one that's equal with him, that it could actually right. do something. Right. The only one that matches him, the only one that, that makes a difference, which isn't the best situation for poor Newt. That's what I'm thinking. Like, and honestly... That's what I come away with this movie is like a bunch of questions about what the future holds. Because yeah. like the first Fantastic Beast, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is great. And it's a great little yeah. standalone story. It's about Newt and and all these different characters they established and the Fantastic Beasts. And that I mean, Newt, his story and the Fantastic Beasts are really lost in this movie. They're not yeah, as, they nearly are. as predominant. There's one like good sequence with a beast. And there's one scene in the case. That's pretty much it. And that's sad for a movie that's titled Fantastic Beasts. And I'm assuming the rest of them will also be titled Fantastic Beasts. All around, I don't like the title of this movie. Because it don't have a lot to do with Fantastic Beasts or Grindelwald, and they're both in the title. So here's here's my my two cents on it. 
is in the first movie, they were more or less being used in order to establish their existence. Right. And and establish what Newt's original intent was, which was the conservation of the creatures. Now that these situations are arising and you've got this conflict in which somebody must choose a side, even though Newt doesn't like doing that, he mentions in the movie, I don't do sides. But he finally does choose a side, and you have to then decide whether you're going to involve your creatures in that fray. Do you continue the conservation program, or do you utilize them to your advantage? You're practically the Fantastic Beasts whisperer. Do you use that so that your side comes out victorious? I feel like eventually there may be some sort of moral or ethical dilemma where he must use a creature for some some capacity, even though he knows it's going to kill that creature. Something something along those lines. Because right now he's using the Niffler's nose for investigative properties. Right. Or he'll use another creature to help him solve a mystery or, or what have you. But he's not having them fight his battles for him. He's fighting those himself, even if he's not winning. But I think there may come a time where he might have to borrow one of the creatures. And the creature ends up dying because of his choice. And then he's kind of reverting back to his old self, recognizing that he's been doing these things for all the wrong reasons or something like that. I feel like that's the buildup they're trying to get to. And this movie was kind of the first step towards that. You know, uh, you, you see his house and, and the creatures that he's got in the basement. Uh, so you kind of get to explore the, the magnificence of it all for a few minutes. And then you're back to where your feet are on the ground and you're, you're back at square one realizing, oh, hey, there's this conflict going on over here. Oh, hey, I've asked you to intervene. And, oh, hey, if you happen to have a, a magical dragon in your Mary Poppins bag, by all means, use it to squash our enemies. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's. Uh, I just don't know what the future for this franchise holds. I just don't know. And I, I think... I, I, the, the vibe I'm getting is war, man. I mean, well, yeah, and it's like I'm just not sure where where does Newt and the Fantastic Beasts where do they fit into that story? Because it feels like, dude, I just said it. Well, I know, I know, and that's a that's a good idea. That's a good idea, but like it, it this story feels the story presented in the Crimes of Grindelwald feels so much bigger than Newt and his beasts. Well, yes. And that's my whole concern. And they could bring it back around, and they probably will, you know, bring it back around to something what, like what you're talking about. But ultimately, I'm just, you know, I'm curious, like what I'm not sure, like what the plan is. I'm not sure it's based on, you know, based on the, the Harry Potter lore as far as that goes. Um, I'm just, you know, I don't know. I, I I'm concerned. I'm intrigued, but you know, overall, I I think. This movie throws a lot more wrenches in the gears than than anything. Well, I feel like this one is the one that lets you know which direction they're truly going. I think the first movie was meant to be like an establishment. 
Like, it's meant to lay the foundation and set the stage. But it's also the one that can stand as independently as everything else. From here on out, I feel like these films are going to be dependent on its predecessor. I feel like whatever happened in the previous movie is going to affect what happens in the next movie. It's not like they're going to be independent anymore. They're going to be very codependent. They're going to be relying on each other. There's probably going to be a cliffhanger thrown in there somewhere where we have to wait until, you know, the next year or two years from now in order to find out exactly, you know, if this person gets saved or what happens in this scenario or what have you. And by establishing that you have to pick a side and looking at those sides from Newt Scamander's perspective, the wizards are divvying up power, essentially. And by the end of the movie, Newt chooses a side. By the time of the next movie, there may be war. There may be a civil war. There may be conflict of some kind. And the only thing that Newt has to his advantage are his creatures. So yes, things are getting bigger than just Newt adventuring with his creatures because they were meant to show you... And, and like the, the, the splendor and majesty of them all. But that sense of awe and that sense of wonder is over now and it's time to utilize them for war purposes. I sincerely hope that I'm wrong. But based on what I saw from this movie and the fact that, you know, you're basically choosing a side and then you're going to fight to decide, you know, which side is the best. It just, it seems like that's the path that we're headed towards is... We're not going on any adventures with the beasts anymore. We're going to be joining a war, and the beasts are going to be some of the weapons. Yeah, yeah. It's quite possible. It's quite possible. Um, speaking of Newt, specifically, mm-hmm. and so we, we, we not only do we get some backstory with young Dumbledore, young uh, uh, Grindelwald, we also get some backstory for Newt. And we actually see a younger version of Newt back at Hogwarts. Um, and which I have to say, perfect casting for the young version. It's like they just de-aged, um, uh, you know, Red- Eddie Redmayne. Like, perfect casting for the young um, school-age Newt. And I loved seeing those flashbacks. Didn't they do that? What? Did, did they? they cast? Did they cast somebody? I thought it was a different actor. It looked similar to me. You think they DH'd him? I think in certain elements they may have. Let me see. Let me see. Okay. I no, maybe not. Maybe maybe not. I don't although, think so. Although there are some there are some images where his hair it's just uncanny. I mean the everything, the performance, everything. His, yeah, his, his posture, his performance, everything about it looks very, very, very similar. You're right. Okay, okay. And, I got I got a confirmation here. Joshua Shea is the actor who okay. plays young Newt Scamander. And bravo, sir. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I'm so good, so good. Had you convinced that it actually was Eddie Redmayne just mm. playing a younger version of himself? Well, I mean, it's not unheard of. No, it isn't. It's, it's not unheard of to... To play like a younger version of yourself and just have CGI help you out a little bit. Um, it's it's not an unprecedented thing with the way we've got technology nowadays. Um, 
honestly, I feel like the flashbacks are a little overdue. I feel like we probably should have had those a bit more in the first Fantastic Beasts movie. Right. I'm glad that we've got them, but some of the things involving characters like Newt or even Lita Lestrange, those, excuse me, eggplant parm coming back up a little bit there, going to greet me. Woo! <laughs> some of those flashbacks, if you'll excuse me, some of those were probably warranted in the first movie, but I'm glad that we've got them because it gives some more depth to their character. It gives you a better glance at their life and a better perspective as to how they got to where they are. Uh, the conversation between him and Lita up in the abandoned uh, clock tower room type area where he's taking care of, of some injured creatures. I loved that. It was a super tender moment and when you flash back to the present and you've got the two of them in completely different walks of life now, it just really helps paint a picture as to how far everyone's come. Yeah, yeah, I think that was great. I, I, I liked uh, I liked Lita's story. Um, and, you know, I liked her relationship with Thing. Uh, you know, towards the end, it got kind of got, got, got convoluted, but um, you know, I, I like. I think it was meant to though. Like I oh, for sure feel, like like I feel that because she couldn't nail down Newt, if you will. I feel like because of that, she just took the next commander that came her way. Right. But she still has feelings for Newt. She she still would would like to go on adventures with him. Would still like to be a part of that, and that's part of the reason why I found it so moving when she looks in the direction of both brothers and says, I love you. You don't know who she's talking to. Is she talking to her fiance or is she talking to Newt? Yeah, it's ambiguous and it's intentionally ambiguous. I, I think it's meant to, to exude the conflict of Lita's character and, uh, I, I felt like that that came across to me rather well. I, I guess it didn't come across to everybody that way, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I get you there. Um, but you know, I did like that storyline. I did like that. Uh, you know, you, you, and and just the whole thing with I mean, just being back in Hogwarts was really cool. Um, in the present day, which was. It's just already like way before the events of Harry Potter, but also going even further back to their childhood. Um, I think, and of course, the setting up that you know kind of sort of love triangle between him and his brother. I like his brother too. I like that. I like the introduction of him too. Yeah, because it helps you know that there's a bit of a family history, a bit of a family legacy that. Maybe he's not necessarily living up to, and uh, it, it it shows another side of Newt's character, one that we don't always get to see. And so uh, it it was it was good for him as well, just to just to have some some versatility and some other people to kind of play off of, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think we we'll switch gears a little bit and talk about. Credence, because he's back apparently. <laughs> yeah, that was also kind of weird. That's is the thing. like another thing with this movie, really quick, is it totally like it seems like an afterthought, 
Like they have like you know, uh, 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 Jacob shows up, and he's like, "Oh, I thought you were you were uh, ex- expol. What is it they call it? Not expoliated. Um, obliviated. Obliviated. Thank you. The the correct term for wiping someone's ex- mind. Exfoliated. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's not that's not too far off because isn't exfoliating like like removing or something like that? Probably or or, or, or wiping it clean. What does it What does it mean to exfoliate? I almost said defoliated, and that, no, that's a Clone Wars reference. That's a Clone Wars reference. <laughs> yes, um, uh, come apart or be shed from a surface in scales or layers. So you can like exfoliate your skin, and it'll like remove layers of it or something like that. So I knew I heard yeah. that somewhere. Um, okay, but but okay, so so Jacob apparently. Obliviated, but then he shows up in this movie like, nah, nah, I'm good. It didn't work. And then they also show up. You know, Credence is pretty clearly killed in the first movie, and then they're like, nah, Credence is back. He's 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 alive. Like, and it's very like nonchalantly they just do that. Um, I don't know. And I, I, I and where they took Credence was pretty unexpected for me. Um, and then you have a relationship with Nagani, which is also something kind of unexpected. You know. You know, Voldemort Snake was a person. Okie dokie. Well, yeah, I mean, I I believe Dominic could correct us on this potentially and and give us more detail, but I believe that was already established that that she was cursed, and eventually she would never be able to return to her human form. That's part of what made her such a trustworthy element of the Horcrux was she previously was human, and so she was rather a little bit more trustworthy than most snakes would be. But right. she uh, she knew that what she had wasn't permanent, and yet she still chose to become infatuated with a very troubled youth. And that was one of the Easter eggs that I found rather intriguing. Also, the visual component of that was very stunning. The whole circus had like this this great, great visual context to it that made you realize, oh, wow, back in the 20s, this is what happened to mutants or to to people with magic or people with curses placed on them or people with birth defects or whatever. They got put in a traveling circus. Yeah. And it was it was it was breathtaking and heartbreaking all at the same time to to watch him basically the the the, the circus master force Nagini to change her shape while she still had the opportunity and it was almost accelerating the process to a certain degree causing her to to realize how little time she's got left and yet she still chose to spend it with credence i thought that was rather sweet yeah yeah it is they're they're kind of both cursed you know they're both they've both got really heavy weights in their shoulders um and we know at least one of them is going to go on to uh, cause some pretty big havoc and uh, kills people. Um, and, you know, and probably it to no fault of their own. I mean, I, I, w- I would assume, I don't know if she loses her consciousness or whatever. I don't know how exactly that works. But um, it is kind of a weird choice. And I think a lot of people kind of had a problem with that, you know, turning, you know, kind of having a character, making a character that out of someone that is basically doomed to just have their head sliced off quite literally um so i don't know where yeah, they're but going I with f- that 
Well, but I feel like now that we've seen the human side of Nagini, if we go back and watch that story and we go back and watch that scene, we're now realizing it's not just a sentient snake. Right. Like, I feel like it, it gives a little bit more depth to her character that we never had before. Now, there may be some hardcore fans bashing their heads in right now wondering, you know, do, did we did we even need that in the first place? The answer would probably be no. Did we they really, really... Lost a, they probably could have lost a few characters and a few different storylines, if we're being Did honest. we... Okay. One of my complaints, one, one of my several complaints, but one of my complaints is how many storylines we're following. Yeah. Previously, it's... previously, it was centered on Newt Scamander and the people that he interacted with. It was very straightforward. It made a lot of sense. We were watching the movie through Newt Scamander's eyes. We still do at certain times in this movie, but there are also other times where we're cutting to just Credence and Nagini on their own adventures, or just Tina out on uh, like the investigation on her end of things, or just Queenie and Jacob, something like that. The, the cutting from sequence to sequence and going from person to person, going from location to location, it got a little jumbled at times. And the jumbled nature of who we're following, why we're following them, what's happening to them, why it should be important, why this is necessary to the story, I, I kept questioning some of those things on multiple occasions. Yeah. It, yeah. it was a very it's a very busy plot it's a very busy movie that is hard to keep up with if we're being totally honest it just it lacks focus it lacks you know and it's really hard to focus just as a viewer to go okay what's going on here you're going back and forth and I understand where they're going I understand what they tried to do but then they're literally like resurrecting characters like I get Jacob is back. Like, I'm not even using that as a criticism. I'm glad he's back as part of the game. I love his character. But, like, did you really need Creed's to come back? Like, you know, did you really need to do that and, and, and bring another twist in just so he can bog down this plot even more than it already is? And, you know, it does come together at the end, but at the same time, it's, it's very, like... You know, they had to literally explain it, like, in a very long scene, like, what, all the, how all these people are connected. Um, and it's just, it's very heavy-handed. And I'm just, I, I think, I understand you get in the second part and you're trying to expand this universe and, and get stuff out there and set up well, however many more movies we're going to get from this franchise. But it just, it is arduous. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so... Sticking on Credence for a little bit here, because he is a he is a pretty pretty big character, and, and Ezra Miller definitely has a pretty big role that he's got to to try and fill right now. But um, I, for one, am actually okay with the idea of him being back hmm. because you need someone for Grindelwald to manipulate and for it to have meaning. He did that to a certain degree with Queenie, but not to the extent that we felt upset or betrayed or anything like that. Like, I understood her reasons. You know, if if mages aren't supposed to affiliate with no mages, then Grindelwald's 
way seems like a way out. So I wasn't exactly surprised by 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 her choice, but I was surprised at how quickly and easily uh, Credence ended up siding with Grindelwald. And the other element that I found really intriguing was Grindelwald didn't pursue him. He let Credence come to him. Right. Like, I think at one point he said he must choose to come to me or something like that. And so he was very intricate with his with his plot and with his design. He laid a lot of things in motion, caused a lot of things to happen rather indirectly only to allow Credence to appear at his doorstep, willingly choosing to side with him in order to figure out who he really is. Yeah. Because he had, he, he, he really had resisted those kinds of overtures from other people. Like, there, there were probably other offers and other opportunities for him to to discover his identity. I think Newt tried to talk to him at the end of the first movie. Did not like to, did, did, did not like that idea. Did not care to talk to him. But now that Grindelwald's talking to him, now he wants to listen. And I think the two of them could play off of each other rather well. If things continue this way. Um, I'm just curious to see what's going to happen next and how it's going to happen. That those are, those are my biggest questions. Yeah. And, Apparently he's a Dumbledore. Oh, are we getting there already? I mean, I, was, I, was... I mean, I, I guess that was kind of on the tip of my tongue as far as, like, I mean, I know it's the, right at the end of the movie, but it's there. Yeah. And... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can we can we can dive into that um... while we're on the subject of of uh, of Credence, because apparently his real name is Aurelius Dumbledore. Aurelius, and I tried to do some searching as to who Aurelius is, and it's 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 rather ambiguous. Like even even some of the fan pages are speculating like who is Aurelius. Like what does that mean? Who is that supposed to be? Where does he fit into the the Dumbledore lineage? Is he a long-lost brother, a cousin, a nephew? Uh, there are some that are even speculating that he's Albus's son. But there's not really a whole lot that's very definitive. Most people are saying that the name Aurelius is a completely new name that we've never heard before. And up until this point, we only knew of Ariana, Albus, and... Uh, who's what's 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 the third third one's name? Um, I, why can't I remember his name? It's it's escaping me for the life of me. Um, Albus Aberforth. Oh, why Aberforth, could, Yeah. Why couldn't I say Aberforth? It reminds me so much of Abeloth from the Fate of the Jedi series. Mm, yeah. And I I can't remember it for the life of me. Up until this point, we had only known about. The, the, the siblings, the three of them. So Aurelius is a completely new name. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a little frustrated at that name drop. Because it's not a meaningful name drop for literally 
anybody. Aside from his last name being Dumbledore, which could mean anything, the the name drop of Aurelius was very dramatized and overdone to the point where, you know, it's supposed to be some big plot twist along the likes of, I am your father. N- no. It it did not do that for me. I'm sorry. It it's it's interesting, it's intriguing, especially with the idea that that Albus and and Gellert decided not to harm each other. Is he really going to try and train Credence? Or is he just going to hold him hostage so that he has a Dumbledore to torture? You know, I I don't really know what Grindelwald's intentions are but it was it it was it was just very confusing as to why they would hold off on letting us know about who he is like if they do a name drop like that for Ray in episode 9 I I I question just how much of a reaction I'm going to get based on the reaction that that I gave for this character Big important character, big important role, confusing background and family lineage. All of a sudden, the name Dumbledore gets dropped, and that magically fixes everything. I don't think so. I, I'm just, I'm not impressed. I was not impressed with that type of hype and that type of buildup being the reason why everybody was talking and speculating about the ending of this movie. It didn't do that for me. Yeah. Yeah, it it is it's it's a another layer on top of like 10 different layers of reveals and stuff like that that just adds to the you know not of of like a satisfying experience and more of like a head scratcher of okay, what did I just watch and what happened and what was the deal with that character? Like I feel so lost and so out of it, dude. I don't even know what elements to talk about right now. <laughs> there's so many. There's so many. We'll, we'll try to stay as focused as possible, but there is so many places you could go with this. There, there's so many different characters you could talk about and and question the direction of of their development. There's so many sequences that we could end up talking about. So many scenes that we could pull from and say, okay, I like this scene. I didn't care for this scene. I like this scene, but I didn't care for this scene. Uh. I you know what I think we might just need to to take a take a breath and and figure out exactly what to discuss next. So uh folks, we're going to we're going to use this little ambiguous time to go to an ad break. Hit the pause button for a minute here. Go to program identification and commercial break and we'll see you on the flip side as we continue our discussion what appears to be a very long discussion. <laughs> of all the elements of the crimes of Grindelwald. This is IPC. It is holiday music you're listening to in the background, but don't change that dial just yet. 
This is Araj from The Sith List, and I'm here to talk to you about the Kessel Toy Run, Episode 2. Join forces this holiday season, like we did last holiday season, and get together and donate a new Star Wars gift to a hospitalized child and family unable to spend the holidays at home. Now, our boy Brandon's setting this up. He did it last year, and he did an amazing job. And the gifts were just unbelievable. Got out to so many wonderful kids that are spending their holidays not at home. This toy drive is going to go from October 15th through December 20th. And all you have to do is go to Amazon.com and under account, click on find a list or registry. Go to search and I want you to put in the Kessel Toy Run at gmail.com. Then you click wish list. Choose your items slash items you'd like to buy. Then send your selection to the address, which I'm going to give right now. Send it to Brandon Manriquez, P.O. Box 7232, Long Beach, California, 90807. Now, if you don't want to use Amazon, it's all good too. If you want to go to Walmart or you want to go to Target, and you want to find a gift on your own, just send your items to the address that I listed, and that's Brandon Manriquez, P.O. Box 7232 Long Beach, California, 90807. So you might be asking, how is Brandon going to distribute all this by himself? Well, he is. He's got some help. Toys will be distributed by the Child Life Program at Miller Children's and Women's. Also, our friends, the Rogue Rebels and Saber Guild Temple Prime. When you make that selection, I want you to go on Twitter and tag at Making Star Wars and also tag us at The Sith List but I definitely want you to tag at Kessel Toy Run. That's at symbol T-H-E-K-E-S-S-E-L-T-O-Y-R-U-N. And are you in? Oh, hell yeah, you're in because this is a great thing to do. It's the holiday seasons. Let's put a smile on these kids' faces. This is what fandom is all about. Guys, thank you, and I can't wait to see what you guys get for these wonderful kids. And we're back, continuing our discussion of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Ben, I don't know about you, but just looking at all of the different 
elements that make up this movie. I think it's pretty safe to say that the the convoluted nature and the fact that we're jumping back and forth among all these different characters and all these different storylines makes this probably one of the more uh, interesting movies that we've discussed in a while just because it's it can be a little hard to keep up with everything sometimes yeah and it's you know it is I feel I mean I think this is unfortunately one of the weakest Harry Potter movies I think yep. most people would agree with that if yep. not the weakest and it's also it's probably the most convoluted and it's also do you don't have the hindsight of having like a clear like we were we watched all the Harry Potter films we've talked right. about them and we knew kind of like I knew in the back of my mind I knew kind of where it was going you know right. we I'd seen the trailers for Deathly Hollows like I knew yeah you're heading towards like a clear end goal of Harry and Voldemort they're going to team up and Harry's probably going to kill Voldemort in some way or fashion it didn't happen yep. like I thought it was very surprising along the way but mostly thing this is completely different nobody knows yep. where this is going and right. this movie is kind of this spider has this spiderweb effect of taking that original Fantastic Beast movie and just spreading it and going taking all these characters into completely different directions you didn't see coming, taking even characters you thought were dead or thought were out of the picture and bringing right. them back and giving them even deeper stories like Credence. Um, yeah. So you're we're left with. There's and, some retconning and rewriting and that kind and of I've thing. I've heard, that, you know, I, I I hear a lot of chatter online, as you do. You know, I see a lot of Potterheads out there, you guys. Um, I always appreciate listening to people like that, especially people like Dominic. Missing him tonight. <laughs> We're missing him. We keep bringing him up. We're yep. missing him tonight because, you know, it's – I find it fascinating just to listen to people talk about certain things that they know what they're talking about, even when I don't. Um, because, you know, that's the thing with like Star Wars. I got a good handle on that one. I, I can understand that. I can yeah. think when it comes to Harry Potter, this is a completely new thing. And I'm sure a few of you in the audience are probably screaming at your phones right now because we, we, we were trying to figure out something and we just don't because yeah. we're complete noobs. But that's, I mean, that's our perspective. Like you guys got to understand thing. We've, we've done this with so many different franchises. We're watching them for the first time and we're just coming at this as really casual viewers, um, hopefully more hardcore in the future. But for right now, we're very casual, just seeing the movie once. And, you know, it's 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 tough. Um, but this one in particular is a lot to take in, even if you do know a lot about Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was overwhelming for the Potterheads. So for people that are completely new to the franchise the way we are, uh, I guess the the point we're making is try and bear with us as best you can because yeah. I know that uh, the the things that we've discussed have kind of been a little all over the place and we are getting a little crunch for time. So what we're going to do is continue talking about it from a strictly movie perspective, looking at some of the characters, moments, uh, and then some closing thoughts. And I think it's pretty safe to say that we do need to get some Harry Potter fans in on this conversation, Ben. And so mm-hmm. this this may not be the last time we talk about Crimes of Grindelwald just because we may need to see it a second time and we may need to get a couple of other voices in here to kind of uh, egg the, pro- the process along a little bit. But uh, Tina Goldstein does make appearance in, in this film. Yeah. 
and uh, you know it, it's it's implied that she's kind of avoiding Newt because she heard that he's in a relationship now, and so she really doesn't want a whole lot to do with him. Um, her her sister is, is kind of at odds with her because she put a, a, a infatuation spell on Jacob. Essentially, uh, he didn't really provide the kind of comic relief that he did in the first movie either. Not not in a not in a similar vein to the first movie, anyways. And that was unfortunate in my mind. But the the Goldstein sisters and Jacob, in my opinion, all felt rather underused or underutilized in several yeah. instances. Yeah. And that may have ended up affecting the quality of the movie as well, because they were co stars, they were leading men and women in the first movie. And it felt like they almost took a bit of a back burner in certain instances in this movie. And I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, did I lose you? No, I'm, I'm here. Sorry. It broke up there for a second. We're having internet problems tonight for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I, I agree on that I think I mean I really like Tina I really like Queenie like I I wanted to see more of those characters and you get more but you don't get a whole lot and you know especially Tina is kind of you know she her story is kind of she's 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 out of it for a lot of time I mean the whole point of you know there's a good portion of the movie devoted to Newt and Jacob trying to find her and, you know, she's out of it for that. And then, you know, for the rest of the movie, you know, it's, you know, when you have the, when the main character essentially is kind of sidelined by this larger plot, you have the, what used to be the, the, the side characters are kind of even smaller in this movie, which is unfortunate because I think that core cast from Fantastic Beasts is, is, is fantastic. Pun intended. <laughs> No, I see where you're. I, I, I saw what you were doing there. Um, here's the other thing: is they they made some some Easter egg type appearances. Nagini was one of them. Uh-huh. Nicholas Flamel was another one. Who uh, the he's the he's the sorcerer that's involved with the Philosopher's Stone, which is a big part of the first Harry Potter movie. Obviously, um, we see a, a very fragile, very frail Nicholas Flamel get involved in this conflict. Uh, kind of further proving the point that everybody has to choose a side. But my question is, did we really need him? Yeah. Like, I I was kind of confused about that guy, too. Like, I'm like, yeah, he's he's funny. <laughs> like, Jacob's whole interaction is kind of funny. But, like, what's he doing there? Well, I, I believe that they, they've kept him in that safe house. That was the, the safe house that uh, Dumbledore gave the address to Newt saying, if you run into trouble, you know, run here. And they've got, uh, they've got Flamel hiding out there trying to, you know, stay away from it all. And he said something to the effect of that he hasn't seen action in decades or hundreds of years or something like that. And they're like, yeah, but we trust you. And I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's like saying, oh, there's a, there's, there's a, there's an armed robbery in progress, but I'm going to trust my 80-something-year-old grandma to go take care of the situation. <laughs> I, I just I didn't see the logic behind that move. And while it was nice to see Nicholas Flamel, like, again, a Harry Potter Easter egg, I just didn't feel like he did anything for the story. 
Like, I, I don't know how much he actually contributed. I mean, I believe he was involved in the final battle, the final fight scene, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he was there. With I think everyone was there, actually. Yeah, just, to, yeah. Like, everyone just that was everybody. alive. Every, everybody pretty much showed up at that final fight sequence, which is something that we are going to touch on in, in, in just a minute here. But his appearance didn't make a whole lot of sense. But there's one other character, and, and this is this is probably the place where Dominic would be bashing his head right now. Uh-huh. You know, all, by all, for, for all intents and purposes, when we talked about this movie, he did not have a very positive vibe about his impressions from this film, and I can see why. And this is one that is still being heavily debated on social media because it just does not make sense. It just does not make sense by any stretch of the imagination from the from the movies to the books to anything to have Professor McGonagall in this timeline. It yeah. does not it does not add up at all. And she's not even like in there really. She's in the background and she's name dropped. But like well, but she's she's in the flashback, dude. Oh, wh- which flashback? The the flashback with Lita. Oh. Lita Lita's flashback at Hogwarts, they call for a Professor McGonagall and she intervenes back in the in the flashback sequence. It doesn't That's even make sense back. for her to show Yes, exactly. Like, that's almost 20 years before whatever we've got going on in Fantastic Beasts, which means she would have been a professor in the early 1900s, like in 1900 to 1910 region. Which means she would have been born, in, in order to be a 20-something wizard teacher, like a, like a brand new teacher on the scene, she would have had to have been born in the 1880s. But yeah. I... I, I don't think that's when I mean, she was I, born. I get that wizards can prolong their life. I mean, we just talked about Nicholas Flamel, this immortal dude. Um, but okay, here's according <laughs> <laughs> uh, according to to my quick little Google search, Minerva McGonagall wasn't even born until 1935. Oh, okay. So, so... we've got New York. 1927 is when this movie set and according to Harry Potter and according to the books she's not even born until eight years later so massive retcon it's a huge retcon just for the sake of oh Professor McGonagall hey there you are just just for a name drop yes yeah and in a movie that's full of like You've got Hogwarts, like, front and center in several scenes. And you've got Dumbledore. Like, I don't know. Like, you, you've got enough. Like, you've got enough going on in this movie. You didn't need to have that little extra Easter egg. Right. She's already about 70 years old when the Harry Potter series commences. Like, that's, the, that's, their, that's their estimation of how old she actually is. So if they're if they're totally retconning this and they're they're putting her in as a teacher 30 years before she's supposed to be born, then that puts her at over 100 by the time the movie comes around, which isn't unheard of cuz Flamel mentioned that he was, you know, several several decades old. I don't remember exactly how much off the top of my head, but 
It is possible to have older wizards, but it would mean a complete rewrite of Minerva's character, just for the sake of a name drop and an Easter egg appearance. She doesn't really do a whole lot for the plot, doesn't do a whole lot for the story. She just shows up in the flashback, or or is in the background and just has a, a reference made about her. But she's she's not a critical focal point, and yet they drop the name anyways. And it, it, that that's just frustrating. From a writer's perspective, that's a really, really frustrating element that just wasn't necessary for the sake of the story. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not. It doesn't add anything, really. It's just, oh, McGonagall, that's cool. I remember that name. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's another one of those, like, head-scratching moments. Head-scratching or head-banging. <laughs> Or depending both. On who you, or both. Or d- depending on who you ask. And, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to have to ask Mr. Jones his thoughts on this. We mm-hmm. asked him to send us, like, a sound bite, but he's just super busy right now. He it's is. the end of the year. Got a lot of work to do, a lot of things to juggle, a lot of things on your plate. I get that. Uh, and we can't, I, I we will can't say, begrudge him for that. I will say, really quick, w- w- and I'll tease this. I'm not going to announce anything because there's nothing 100% just yet. But we might be doing something with him. And yeah. Chris Siegel in the near future. That's going to be pretty cool. Um, yeah, before before the year is out, we're in the works for for a what do you call it? A collaboration of sorts. Collab, but collab because we don't have if, a Star Wars movie to collaborate on, so we got we got to think up something else. We got it. We got to improvise a little bit. But like I said at the top of the show, episode two eighteen is going to be the last official IPC episode for the year. But that doesn't mean that we don't have other things in the works. And that doesn't mean so. we're finished with Harry Potter. We'll just continue into the new year. And we've we've done Stranger Things. <laughs> I'll I'll put it that way. Also, did you see that Stranger Things has been announced for summer of 2019? I saw I saw that they announced the uh, the episode title. I would actually put it in the notes if I'd have thought about it. Um, and I didn't get a release date. That's cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 just it, they just said the summer. They didn't give an official date. Mm, yeah, so Netflix is usually pretty tight-lipped about release dates. They can be they can be kind of ambiguous like that. And there's a lot of ambiguity in this movie as well. I've got one other complaint that I'd like to address before we uh, we finish venting and start trying to find the silver linings of this movie. Um, is it just me, or did it feel like Grindelwald had even more followers than? Voldemort had in the Harry Potter series. Yeah. I mean, I guess by nature that would make sense because Grindelwald, like, Voldemort is only, and only has people that he's basically threatened. Like, anyone that serves Voldemort, you know, I'm sure there's some true believers in there, but I think majority of people are just in fear for their life. They're like, okay, well, you know, I gotta be on the winning side here to stay alive. Whereas with, with you know Grindelwald, they seem to believe what he's saying. Like even good people, um, are kind of you know on his side and like, hey, this sounds good. Which I mean, which is all too real. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like you see, the you know as George pointed out, you know obvious comparisons to Hitler, Nazis. Like there was a lot of good people back in the day that believed what Hitler was saying and, you know, and and stood behind him even though, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, kind of sold their soul for whatever, um, 
you know, kind of, you know, believe those lies. So, you know, coming into this, like this is kind of this, the wizarding, you know, world equivalent, and you still have seemingly good people, you know, being sucked into this, this rhetoric. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is perhaps Grindelwald's a bit more of a public figure. He's he's a little bit more openly available right. to his followers. Voldemort's very under wraps, trying to, to operate in secret, almost. His name isn't even mentioned, you know? Like, it's it's just so dark and so secretive that maybe his society of followers is just that much more secretive and exclusive or yeah, something they're, like they're, that. Yeah, like the Wizarding World for Voldemort is like they're, they've programmed themselves not to say his name. He, they're so terrified of him. Whereas right. Grindelwald is this very public figure. Even though he's wanted, even though he escaped from prison, you know, he's still like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm, you know, he's going to have this rally and all these people are going to show up and he's going to talk to him. Yep. Yeah, but it it just it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, I guess, because he's not as big and he's not as important as Voldemort. And yet he still draws a bigger crowd. Right. He still draws more attention. If he's not intended to be as important or powerful as Voldemort, he shouldn't have as many followers as he does. I feel like he, he should be viewed as a crazy man or something like that. And only the, the crazed uh, heretics that are with him are the ones that should be following him. He had a full house. You know, it, it was practically a sellout. And yeah. and people willing people willingly signed up and, and, and joined him the way that they did, mostly because of his, of his fear and... and mongering of, of trying to convince people that this is what's going to happen if you let the nomadges do their thing. But that just seemed very off. And his abilities. I I know that he he's used Avada Kedavra a couple of times. We see it get used. But at the same time, what the heck was this fiery blue dragon spell that he cast over Paris. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. Never seen anything remotely like that before. And he just casts it like it's nobody's business. Like, it's nothing big, nothing important. No big deal. It's only going to consume one of the biggest cities in the country. Meh. Like, how is his power at that point even though he's not supposed to be as powerful as Voldemort it's almost like his showmanship is showing up the dark lord in places and times when it's not supposed to yeah yeah it it is it's interesting kind of it'd be interesting to see going forward like what grindelwald will be able to to accomplish because obviously you know you only had so much in the original books and and the movies so now introducing a new character you can't upstage Voldemort but you also have to show that that Grindelwald is a force to be reckoned with as well yeah I mean you've got to have like some legitimacy to a villain character I get that he's he's got to be a legitimate threat early on in the film we really didn't see a whole lot of that although I will say the uh, escape during the prison transfer 
was probably one of the coolest car chases I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was. It reminded me of like an actual car chase, like the ones you see in the Fast and the Furious movies, but it was with magical creatures. And I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. Yeah, I mean, it set a pretty decent tone as far as you know what uh, what the rest of the movie could end up looking like. It didn't, but I I mean, you were asking earlier what were some of the crimes that Grindelwald committed? Breaking out of Makuza custody, killing those Makuza. magicians on it on his way out right uh theft because he stole the coach he illegally entered paris as a fugitive he killed that french muggle family uh breaking and entering he was uh he was the um person responsible for the death of the nanny he stole records from the french ministry of magic archives um and then covered Paris in those magical black cloths that summoned his followers, so he exposed magic to the real world. And he killed several Aurors in the process of, of holding his rally. So yeah. murder and illegal use of magic, among other things. I mean, I guess he did commit some crimes, but you really you really have to be looking for it and maybe... Because of his bad boy nature, it was just a little more difficult to to sort out than usual. Yeah, yeah. And if I can go back and and, and touch on a few few of the, uh, the the positives here, that opening chase is great. That oh yeah thing. It's just the way, not just like the chase, but also like you know, I love you know. Of course, that's one of the best things about this universe is like the different uses of magic and like. They go over the river and they're right above it, and he fills the entire carriage with water, and everyone's drowning inside, even though they're way up in the sky. Um, that kind of stuff was great, and seeing like you know, like he switch, and you don't actually know what's going on because he switches places, and you know, you're like, oh crap, you know, you know he's gonna escape, but you don't know how. Um, that was that was an exciting sequence. It was great, great way to start a movie. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm with you. I mean, there there were some really cool elements. I liked, um, I liked Newt's conservatory that he has in his apartment. If we thought his suitcase was neat, you should see his his basement. Yeah, you know, like there there were there were some pretty cool visual elements that were in there. I mean, even though I felt like it was a, a little misplaced, the the fiery dragon was a beautiful spectacle. It it was it was visually captivating to to watch the that kind of sparring going on, and then if I had to pick a favorite sequence, which I know is is we're, we, might, we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but if I had to pick a favorite moment or something, um, I would I would take you to uh, the Lestrange tomb because this is this is one element that we didn't really. Uh, talk about a whole whole lot it was it was rumored slash believed that credence was actually a part of the lestrange family and given his his dark nature it really wouldn't have surprised me if that was the case uh he turned out to be a dumbledore but um it was believed that he was a lestrange and one of the french aurors was chasing him because um because he thought he needed to kill Corvus in order for him to be able to, to live and maintain the, the Lestrange family name. Um, 
and it, it was discovered that Lita actually basically doomed her brother. Basically doomed her, her, her brother Corvus during a time when, when they were out at sea and the ship was doomed to sink. And before she was able to make it to the lifeboats, uh, she had uh, switched the babies in order to get one that was quieter. And uh, that revelation that her selfish act of switching babies ended up dooming her brother because it, it, it gave depth to her character. It gave depth to the Lestrange family and some of the, the twisted and morbid things that might come after it. It gave a little bit more ambiguity as to who Credence was because this whole unraveling monologue took a twist that we weren't expecting. You know, we thought, is he Corvus Lestrange? Oh, no, he's not because Corvus is actually dead. So who the heck are you, Credence? Yeah. Like, it, it, was, it was just very interesting to, to watch those kinds of monologues unfurl because usually when you have moments like that, it ends with the revelation of who the character is. But instead, we got a revelation of who Lita really is and the floating cloth that she was looking at in Hogwarts. You know, if you, if you go back to her flashback and you were, you know, looking at the things that scare you most, for, for Newt, it was a desk job. For Lita, it was that floating cloth. Yeah, I, and, I like that, yeah. And that cloth was the one that was wrapped around Corvus when the ship went down. Her greatest fear is also her greatest regret. And that gave so much depth to Lita's character and actually did tie a couple of ambiguous elements together, which I thought was really, really nice. Just the twist of her dooming Corvus to his death and us not knowing who Credence really is that sequence right before the gathering, right before Grindelwald's rally, I really did enjoy that sequence. You know what? I'm going to completely disagree. <laughs> okay. I I get what you're saying. I I, I really do. I, 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 you know, it is pretty – it's clever. It's deep um, to, you know, go that far and show. But, like, that was after, like, explaining, like – you know, going through like, oh yeah, this Lestrange took up with this one and this, and there was a, you know, kids and you know mistresses and all this kind of stuff. The whole explanation of how the Lestranges came to be, and then on top of that, going into like Lita's that that kind of her shameful thing about how you know her her having to kind of confess up to doing what she did. Um, it was a bit much. It was a bit much to take in, I think, for one scene. I think maybe you could have cut that back just a bit and not had so much, you know, all these flashbacks explaining all this to, you know, a pretty, you know, thing. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what everyone else thinks about that. Please, you know, tweet us or whatever. If you you have thoughts on this movie, we'd love to hear you. But uh, I was like ah this this is this is weird like this is pretty deep and i'm not sure how much i'm following this just initial reactions maybe my my opinion will change but i felt like that's where the movie kind of was really on thin ice well i mean i i don't disagree that it was a lot to take in but i i felt like it gave me some clarity that i didn't have up to that point 
I was oh, trying it was to definitely fig- clear. I think I I, w- I was trying to figure out where the cloth plays into things. I was trying to figure out why we've been following Lita Lestrange all this time. I was trying to figure out you know where where's the intersect. You know is. Is Credence's story going to merge with anyone else's story? And it was supposed to try and merge with Lita's, only to find out that Lita had a story of her own. So not only are we getting exposition on Credence's character and who he could possibly be, but we're also getting some exposition on the Lestrange family and just how far back it goes. And we're getting some exposition on Lita's character and how flawed she really is, even though Newt saw her as like a great person in school, she already had that past to her that she then has to reveal in order to keep everybody safe. And so, yes, it was a lot to take in. Yes, it, it could have been paced or, or done a little bit more creatively. But I felt like as far as, you know, expanding upon characters and, and giving us something new, giving us some element that really wasn't expected... I felt like Credence not being a Lestrange was a bigger twist than finding out that Credence was a Dumbledore. Right. And and also, I mean, and it would have been a little too easy to say, Oh yeah, this is this is where you came from. This is thing. And there's a right, there's exactly. another twist. Exactly. They just kept teasing you and they were like, Oh well, we just gave you this big monologue and all these flashbacks supposedly this is who he's supposed to be and then it turns out no out of all that you're not you're just some baby that was switched and that baby happens to be a dumbledore like it's it's purely coincidental it's it's completely accidental but at the same time you're also like oh well that's an interesting turn of events so i i did enjoy it 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 wasn't it wasn't like it was necessarily the best scene but it was my favorite scene, if that makes sense. Um, for me, I my my favorite scene has to be. I don't know. I think I like the the whole sequence with. The, I don't know what the name of the creature is, but. Um, I guess this is more than one scene, but I'm going with this anyway. Um, this, uh, you know, him the the big like tiger looking thing, like the, it's almost like a Japanese thing. Um. The, I know what you're talking about, you know, but I don't know the name. No, I don't know the name. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. But he's he looks like a he looked really like he looked like a puppet almost. I don't know if it was a puppet. It may have been in the movie, um, but it looked like one of those like Chinese dragons or whatever. But it was it was a magical beast. Um, you know they they kind of get him to go into the case at one point. Um, which was kind of cute, and then later him showing up, and you have the, the cats that are like, "Oh, they won't attack you unless you attack them." Well, they attack them, um, and they're the big battle in the I think it's in the uh, the Ministry of Magic in Paris. Um, some great action. I, I, I like the whole sequence with the the different moving things, and they're on the backs of the the, the archives or whatever. It's really cool. Uh, I'm trying to look up some of the names because we've got we got the return of Nifflers, we've got Thunderbirds again being referenced. Uh, the Kelpie was actually pretty cool too. The the water creature that he yeah, rides that was on, cool. and then you've got like these Sphinx cats that they use as security guards at the Ministry of Magic. Yep, I think they're called uh, Matagotes. There's an augury and a 
Lucrata, apparently. <laughs> uh, let me see. I think it's called a Zuwu. Z-O-U-W-U. An elephant-sized cat. Oh, wow. Is basically what they use to describe it. And it's it's a it is a it is a really cute creature because the 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 idea of having like a big fluffy uh, toy that you wave at it in order to get its attention and get it to do things for you, I I thought that was hilarious. Like no matter how big the cat gets, there are just certain elements of a cat that just cannot be taken out of it. <laughs> like have you seen have you seen those pictures of people who don't recycle and their boxes end up in the woods or whatever and pumas end up playing in them. Yes, I love that. Like, like no matter how big the cat gets, it still wants to play in a box. You know, it's you can't, you just can't change them. Nope their their nature is just part of who they are. Now, was the Zulu your favorite character? Um... <laughs> did you kind of kind of do like a two for one there, or did you have a, a human character that you enjoyed seeing as well? I'll go with a human character just to mix it up. Um. I don't want to say Newt again, because I think I said him last time. Um, but you know, you I think I think we're gonna have to go with uh, with Lita. I really liked her character, like you know, kind of her journey. And you know, even if I wasn't totally sold on her the big reveal, um, I still think you know, kind of her love triangle and her she hasn't seen great with scene with Dumbledore. Um, she had some good backstory, and she ultimately dies, which kind of sucked. It was kind of—I kind of hate to see her go. Yeah, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm kind of sad about that, mostly because I'm curious about what's going to happen to the Lestrange bloodline now that she's gone. You know, how—how how is that family name going to continue? Where are the Lestrange siblings that are going to bring about crazed characters like Bellatrix one day? You know. Yeah. Like how do how do we get from how did we get from from Lita to Bellatrix? I'm I'm really curious about that. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, my my favorite character, I I don't think it's going to come as any surprise to anyone as heavily debated he is as a person and and as controversial uh as as a review it's been as far as how he brought about the role. I enjoyed what I saw from Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. I was excited to see him appear at the end of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The opening sequence set things off on a good tone. The intricacies of him setting things up for Credence to come find him rather than seeking him out like a lot of people do. And the rally that he held. And the the magic that, that he was able to exert upon the world. It It legitimized him as a threat to not just the wizarding world but the world as a whole. And his words were just sweet enough to convince everybody of everything. And it's, it's just fascinating because I think at one point he mentions that uh, beasts of burden will always be necessary. Mm -hmm. And that was something he was talking about. No magics. He was saying that about no magics. He wasn't talking about regular beasts of burden. He was talking talking about them as beasts. Like he's talking them. he's talking about them as lesser thans essentially and that just also made me realize okay we're dealing with a bit of a psychopath here yeah and that just gave us a l- even more depth to his character and so 
we, we still don't know a whole, whole lot about the Blood Oath, but I find it fascinating that they're both seeking alternative routes to achieve their means. You know, Dumbledore is choosing to completely stay out of it altogether. You know, he, he, he doesn't want to help in any way, shape, or form, which is why he sends Newt. And uh, Grindelwald is trying to find ways to rise to power among wizards without, uh, without Dumbledore's help or, or without having to confront him or Hogwarts in general. You know, he's staying away from them. It's almost like a truce. You know, he's doing everything outside of Hogwarts and Dumbledore is doing everything he can to stay within the walls and stay out of the fray. And so to have that that contrast there, eventually somebody's going to have to choose a side and, and there's going to have to be an intervention somehow. Like, I don't feel like Dumbledore is going to be able to stay on the sidelines forever. No. Newt wasn't able to do it. I don't feel like he's going to be able to either. But what are the repercussions and consequences of him intervening and potentially harming the person he made a blood oath with? I think that will be very telling in the next few movies. For sure. For sure. Uh, speaking of Dumbledore not getting involved, um, I believe that's actually our quote of the night, isn't it? I believe it is. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and hop into that. Um, it, he, he's, he's receiving an appeal from the Ministry of Magic, I believe. And they're, they're saying, you, you need to get involved. You need to help us. We admit that, that you have the power to, to match him, and we need you to tap into that power in order to save the day. And he's choosing the sidelines. He's choosing Hogwarts. So without further ado, here is Jude Law as Dumbledore, opposite a myriad of other ensemble cast members who I don't have their names off the top of my head. So I'm just going to bring you tonight's quarter of the night. You've built up quite a little network of international contacts. However long you keep me and my friends under surveillance, you're not going to discover plots against you, Travers, because we want the same thing, the defeat of Grindelwald. But I warn you, your policies of suppression and violence are pushing supporters into his arms. I'm not interested in your warnings. It pains me to say it, but you are the only wizard who is his equal. I need you to fight him. I can't. And there you go. I need you to fight him. I can't. I don't feel like he's going to be able to keep saying that. I, I really, really don't. Uh, I'm not going to speculate on, on any future movies. Maybe that's something that we can discuss with Mr. Jones or, or mm-hmm. anybody else that, that we bring onto the program at a, at a future time. But I just, I, I feel like we're heading the direction of a war. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. I feel like we are heading towards war and everybody's going to have to use their gifts and talents in order to bring peace to the wizarding world again. And that will include... Uh, uh, it'll it'll include Dumbledore's use of his magical powers. It will include Newt Scamander having to utilize some of his creatures. It'll it'll include you know people coming dangerously close to to falling into the dark. Queenie has technically sided with Grindelwald. How does that play into her relationship with Tina right. and and her relationship with Jacob? 
you know, what what does that end up looking like? Is she going to kind of fall off the deep end now? And and Jacob's going to fall out of love with her because he just doesn't know who she is or anything like that anymore. There's there's definitely material available out there for the sequels. And I do appreciate that aspect of it. But overall, I feel like Crimes of Grindelwald is very much a mixed bag. It's a very, very mixed bag with probably more bad than good, which is sad because as much as I enjoyed the first one, Fantastic Beasts 2 falls a lot flatter. It, it, It falls much flatter for me than the first one did. And I... I'm I'm sorry to say this, but the story is is convoluted, and and that the characters are not as well developed as I would have hoped, and the visuals do not make up for the elements that fall short. I am actually giving this one of the lowest grades that I've ever given on the show. For me. As much as I enjoyed Jude Law as Dumbledore, as much as I enjoyed Johnny Depp as Grindelwald, as much as I enjoyed seeing Nagini, as much as I enjoyed the some of the certain plot twists that we had, it's just the 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 pros do not outweigh the cons. And my planet score for this movie is a six out of ten. Wow. Wow. Which you know, I rarely go below seven. Yeah, that's. I mean, we're. I mean, I mean, let's face it. We're generally pretty positive people. You know, we're not. Yep. We don't like to hate on things. You know, we like to talk about things we like. And you know, I don't want to hate on this movie either. But I mean, it's just as you said, it's a mixed bag. And, and, and speaking of my final thoughts, like I, you know. It is just it's all over the place. It's dealing trying to do so many different things and it just it doesn't connect on most of them. I mean, speaking of the positives, it's got I mean, it's got these characters back. I love Newt's Commander, I love Tina, I love Jacob, I love Queenie, I love the beasts, you know, I love all these elements, so seeing more of them is great, but you don't get enough of them. And they really right. are they're not as in a film series, in the second film in the series, that's supposed to be about them, they, they really should be front and center. They don't feel like it. They feel like they're just a footnote in the larger story that seems to be getting ever larger, and you're introducing, instead of dealing with just five characters, you're dealing with, with I don't know how many, 10, 15? Like, I'm not talking about, like, side characters. I'm like, people that you're supposed to be invested in. And it just doesn't it doesn't work. Um and there is some great like I said, there is some great stuff. There's great action, um, there's some great humor, um great I mean, technical side, great visual effects, great performances. Like, I mean, it's well acted. Um, you know, I, I loved um Jude Law as Dumbledore. I think he really embodied that character, really took it to and gave it something new with that character. Um and, you know, Johnny Depp was also amazing. Um, but, you know, overall, it is the that's the best way you can describe it. It's a mixed bag. It's really kind of thing. So, for my plan score, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What do I do? What do I do? I think I'm going to give it 
I'm going to give it a 5.5. Oh, wow. I'm going to go lower than you because I feel wow. like I feel like it I feel like it's a balance of as about half of it is pretty good and the other half is meh. And I'm balancing it and that's where I'm going with this. That that's a very interesting take on it. I mean, you know, everybody keeps talking about how we need to come up with like an actual point system and like, okay, we're delegating points to the writing, to the scripting, to the casting, to oh, the no, action, don't to, let the, me do to that. the whatever. If I get that meticulous, this score is going to be even lower. Oh, like, like, don't don't get me wrong. There are elements of this movie that I enjoyed, but there are a lot of elements that were very confusing for somebody that's new to the franchise. There were some characters and storylines that just didn't add up, and. Then you've got huge deviations, like the fact that Professor McGonagall shouldn't even have been born yet, and yet the screenplay says, like, I, I, I've got connections, two connections who have connections down the line, that say that if you look at the screenplay, anything involving the character McGonagall is actually under the name Minerva. So it's not like even her mother or anything like that. It's meant to be Minerva McGonagall, and yet... She's not even supposed to be born yet. So it's it's hard for me to praise this movie that takes so many retcons and rewrites and deviations and and convoluted storylines. It's hard to praise something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. IPC is, is usually a, a peaceful discussion about the, the good in a movie. But when it's hard to find the good... It's hard to give it a good score. Well, it's peaceful because we agree. <laughs> this movie yeah, is okay. not nearly as good as it could have been. And not nearly as good as the previous movie because Fantastic Beasts 1 got an 8.5 from you and a 9.0 from me. Wow. Wow. That's a so massive step down. We, we've both gone down three points out of ten. Mine went from a 9 to 6 and yours went from an 8.5 to a 5.5. Yeah. Yeah, so that's crazy. that's pretty that's pretty telling. I feel like for both of us to have knocked thirty percent off of our scores from the previous iteration, I think that's pretty telling. Yeah, I don't. Speaking I don't know. of <laughs> speaking of tell, I just want to tell you all to go become a patron over at IPC. You can do so at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. We've had some uh, awesome people that have joined us this year, including Joey Mays, Katie Horn, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. They are all regular contributors to the show, and they are the people that keep the lights on for us, and we're very thankful for them. We bring them onto the show as often as we can, as often as their schedule allows. And uh, if you believe in IPC and you believe in the things that we're looking to do in 2019 and beyond, we really need your help. We really, really do, especially with Disney Plus coming out uh, and several other streaming services and several movies that we'd like to go see. We'd prefer for those to not be coming out of pocket. So if you're willing to uh, sponsor our trips to the movies so that we can review them for you here on the show, then be sure to go check out patron.podbean.com slash IPC podcast. Mm-hmm. And and just a, a note to everyone, whether you support us or not, we, we appreciate you. Um, listening and going into the new year. Of course, we're already promising some more Harry Potter talk and we'll be doing some other stuff too. But if you have something specifically you'd want to talk about, whether it's something old, something new, um, let us know. 
and maybe we'll try to work it into the schedule. Like I know at least one person has uh, requested, I think it was our good friend Chris Abbott, was like, hey guys, you need to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And, yep. and I'm like, I know. Like I want to see that movie, and, I'm, and, and it's, I think it comes out today. So I'm game to definitely watch that movie and hopefully talk about it at some point. So maybe we'll try to figure that in the schedule at some point. And whatever else, we're always looking for suggestions. We've conquered almost Harry Potter. We've conquered a bunch of other things. So we need ideas. And if you want to submit those ideas to us, you can do so by checking in with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast. You can also follow us personally on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. You can find Ben at Ben Hart with no E. Just spell that out phonetically, H-A-R-T with no and then the letter E. Um, I'm also on a couple other social media platforms like Snapchat, but I really don't know how to use it to be completely honest. So probably best not to friend me yet, just because I don't have my feet under me yet. (laughs) Yeah. You're you're braver Um, than I, I'm not even on those platforms, much less know how to use them. Yeah. So like I'm trying, but I'm not exactly succeeding. So Twitter and Instagram are probably the best places to find me. Ben, I know you do a lot of stuff on Facebook as well. Mm -hmm. So I mean, if people want to to find you, they can they can use that same search to find you on Facebook as well. Yeah, right? I'm I'm Ben Hart with no e spelled out all all of that on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Same thing. So uh, yeah, I, I post in all three places. All right, good deal. Well, jeez, um, uh, we're almost done. I know yeah. we're almost done, but. Uh, we do have one other thing that we need to talk about before we sign off for the night. And since this is technically our last official episode of the year, I think it's appropriate that we actually do a, a special kind of review as well using this particular segment. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for the last time in the year 2018, get out your hashtags. Start putting them in the chat if you're listening live like George is. Put them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and everything else that carries a hashtag like Pinterest does. Because it's time, one more time, for Hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Barbecue! 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 Watch. Okay, so I tell people all the time that we check in on the hashtag fairly regularly, but it's been a while Mm -hmm. since we've actually taken a look at the BBQ Watch hashtag. So since it's the last episode of 2018, I thought it'd be appropriate to try and find any of the posts that that hashtag was used for in 2018. So, Ben, I am on Instagram right now. Are you comfortable taking Twitter? I was on Instagram, but I'll go to Twitter. I don't care. I mean, I can go, no, too. No, I I'm just... good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I was just I, – I sometimes during the show, I'll browse tw- uh, Instagram anyway. So I was already there. But I'll go over to Twitter too because I go I go over there too sometimes, and uh, I'm gonna start looking and seeing what's gonna be happening, what's been well, happening. I mean, 
Yeah, and in the meantime, I'll take a look at some of the, the hashtag usages that we've had uh, recently. Uh, obviously, we use it quite frequently when we're talking about some of our stuff. So when our IPC swag was released, we used that hashtag because we've actually got a Barbecue Watch t-shirt available amongst some of the other swag that we've got, including stickers, coffee mugs, hoodies, t-shirts. If you're looking for a Christmas gift for your IPC Peacekeeper nerd, then uh, you should totally go check out our page at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. We've got a lot of really awesome apparel. And knowing Public, they'll probably put some of that stuff on sale for the holidays. So it's not too late to go and check that stuff out as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've used we've used that hashtag for some of our posts and some of our travel. Um, but let me see. What have we got here? Uh, our friend Chris Star Raptor back in July found Sabra uh, hummus that was sweet and smoky, barbecue-flavored, with jackfruit and smoked paprika in the hummus. Damn. I don't know about you, but my mouth just watered a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Because after Chris, after Chris told us about jackfruit being used as a, as a meat substitute... Infusing it with the hummus and the sweet and smoky barbecue, that actually sounds pretty dang good. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not that uh, big hummus person, but... Mm. I'm I'm usually not either, but uh, over the summer, it proved to be a really good quick snack. And so I've started using it a little bit more, but uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty tasty. I see a check-in from you... Uh-huh. Uh, oh, but that was that was May of 2017. This is weird. Um, sometimes the thing they'll 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 they just it doesn't it shows you the top posts, but not the most recent ones. Yeah, there, I think there's a toggle between the most recent one and the and the thing because sometimes I think sometimes it gets confusing. So there's a there's a there's a dog page uh, called Abby Beagle Tales. <laughs> And she is outside watching her human barbecue some meat on the grill, hoping that it's going to fall, including the likes of bacon, sausage, chicken, and turkey. And they used the hashtag BBQWatch back in July. And honestly, that's super cute. That's funny. There's a, there's a, uh, I'm noticing on Twitter, there's a, um, an account called and I, I know that you know about them because you actually followed them. It's at least Twitter's telling me this. Um, at Texas BBQ Watch. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh so, yes. They're not as they're not as active as I wish they would be, but. Uh, yeah, the it's, last it's the a, last a, tweet is two four eighteen. So yeah, they they haven't been tweeting in a while, but they have an Instagram page too, apparently. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I used the hashtag. Back in September, on the first NFL Sunday of the year, I decided I didn't want to cook, so I went to the local barbecue joint and had some baked beans and some coleslaw, some sliced brisket, and some spiced sausage, which was really, really tasty. Uh, Our friend Chris has used it on several occasions. Uh, Back when he was actually eating meat, back in 2016... There's a strip of bacon out there that he's used. I'm trying to find one from 2018. There's one from 
there's Chris's post, and then there's 2015. Man, this goes way back, doesn't it? Shoot, yeah. Let me see. Uh, the SWU uses one a bit. Oh, here we go. Our friend Ryan Stompfly used the hashtag BBQWatch because uh, he was playing Jenga at a barbecue restaurant. <laughs> wow. So they have Jenga at barbecue restaurants in Australia? I'm going to have to go there. I I mean, have you ever played adult Jenga? No, I have not. Surprisingly, I don't I've never played Jenga. You've never you've never played Jenga, period. Period. Oh, okay. Well, you need you need to try you need to try regular Jenga first, but then there are certain like bars and clubs here in the Dallas area where one of the games is like they'll 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 like there's one there's one place that's about to close down unfortunately but uh it was it was a bar mixed with an arcade and you could play things like skee ball and and things like that and like pac-man and whatever but one of the outdoor games that they had was giant two by four blocks that were all the same size and you use them as a giant jenga game oh wow and so instead of, like, a little crash when all the blocks fall over, it makes, like, a huge noise <laughs> when it topples. Wow. It's, it's pretty intense. So, Ryan, if, if there's barbecue involved in that, in, in adult Jenga, I am game for both. So Okay, and I, I, have, I have one from someone on Twitter – and their screen name is at Ben Hart with no E. I wonder, oh, I wonder wow. Who, I wonder who this could be. What a creative name. Okay, so full disclosure here. So I, the, the tweet actually that, that turned me on to this um, is, uh, is a reply to someone, um, my good friend Claire Stribling, at C Stribs. Um, she replied to me, and and. And she said, this is so on brand, and I love it. I said, damn straight, hashtag Brandon, hashtag branding, hashtag BBQ watch. So what we're referring to and what she replied to was a tweet that I put out um, a few months ago when I was uh, in the bit in the midst of a, uh, a very barbecue-centric day of my year. Um, and the tweet reads, I'm spending my evening listening to podcasts while driving a truck full of barbecue sauce halfway across the state of Mississippi. How's your day going? <laughs> so I just – I was in the middle of doing this, exactly what I'm saying. I'm not even not even joking there. Like that's a literal tweet. I, 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 I couldn't make that up really truly. Um, but that was a real thing that happened, and I like – I got a tweet, a tweet about this. This is just too ridiculous. Um, and the full story is that for the restaurant, for my family's restaurant, we have to go to you know Jackson, Mississippi. We're on the coast, but we have to go to the middle of the state to actually get our sauce, normally speaking. And instead of getting smaller portions, we've actually taken to once or twice a year, actually getting a truck and getting like a massive amount of sauce. Oh goodness loading up a truck i mean like i'm talking like pallets of gallon jugs of barbecue sauce put into the back of a truck with a forklift and then carry it so my job on this one was to drive said truck however couple hundred miles i guess 
two three hour drive um back to the restaurant <laughs> so and of course i'm like well i'm driving i'm gonna have my podcast in my ears because to keep me sane um on such a long trip so that was my evening that was my evening that night of uh doing i'm like yeah this is you know i gotta i gotta tell everybody what 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 this craziness that I'm, I'm involved in right now dude that's an awesome story i i just picture barbecue and road trips and those are two of my favorite things <laughs> it was it like, was fun. it was remarkably like i was kind of intimidated because it was a pretty big truck i'd never driven anything that big but um it was kind of fun once i got into it like hey this is this is kind of cool well, that is that is really cool. Barbecue is cool, man. It is cool. Barbecue barbecue why is just cool. That's why we, have a, have a have a segment on this show devoted to it. It's cool. I was about to I was about to say there's a reason for all of this, and uh, that reason for those of you who don't know, Ben works in a barbecue restaurant. I'm from Texas, so I just love barbecue. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm craving it right now, but there aren't any 24 hour barbecue restaurants open. Which I think needs to be a thing, but uh, I digress. I'm probably going to have some tomorrow now, thanks to this conversation, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and what it is, is uh, the end of season four? Or 12, or whatever. Depending well, on okay, how you count them. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm I'm doing it based on, like, the years. So, like, 2014 was season one. Mm-hmm. 2015 would be season two. 2016... 2017 and now 2018. We're at the end of season five, dude. Damn. <laughs> How did this if happen? You up, if you broke up IPC into yearly seasons, we're at the end of season five and the end of episode 218 of the IPC podcast. That is crazy. That's insane. That is insane. And to anyone that happened to maybe have listened that long and been with us that long, or even if you just joined us, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us because it's been a journey and it ain't over. Well, and we've got uh, plenty of awesome material for you to go back and listen to. I think if you uh, if you go all the way back to 2014 and listen to some of our first episodes, you'll notice quite the contrast. I, I choose not to listen to those. I choose only to move forward. But we do have our entire library available to listen on uh, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. So if you do care to go all that way back and listen to everything that we've ever done, uh, we've probably got an entire year's worth of content from previous stuff alone. It would take you a year to listen to everything we've done. That's what I'm saying. Like, we've got so many hours upon hours of content. You would be using up two-thirds of 2019 just trying to get caught up. That's a that's a really crazy thought. But it's all there at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. It's also available on iTunes. It's also available on Google Play for you Android users. And if you're listening on the web, you can find episodes available with our partners at the Star Wars Underworld. Just go find starwarsunderworld.com, and you'll have the links to everything from there as well. So wherever you're listening from, whatever app you're using, whatever device you've got, we've got you covered right here on IPC. Oh, indeed. Well, dude, I know that we may have a uh, a crossover in the works Mm -hmm, still. mm -hmm. We may still have some other collaborations to do before the year is out. But uh, I'm excited for what 2019 has in store. If we are returning to the Wizarding World, I'm excited for that. If we are just going on an epic Marvel tangent 
I'm excited for that. And uh, I'm really nervous about our uh, introductory episode at the start of next year because I don't know if I'm going to be able to pick just five movies that I'm anticipating in 2019. It's definitely going to prove to be a fun year for movies and movie reviewers like you and me. It is. It's going to be amazing. There's so many things happening. Um, just from a Star Wars fan perspective, there's so many things. Like, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the game. we got Clone Wars Season 7. We've got The Mandalorian. We've got Episode 9. Um, I'm sure I'm listing, like, five other things. But that's just Star Wars. And you're not start mentioning all the Disney movies. you got Aladdin. you got Lion King. you got um, tons of other things. And, I mean, stuff we probably haven't even thought of or heard about yet are going to be coming too so and we'll try our best to get as many of those on the show and talk about them just let us know what you want us to talk about so we can do it but i think that is going to do it for this episode of the ipc podcast episode 218 is now officially in the books fitting that that's the one that closes out the year 2018 For Benjamin Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. We're looking forward to episode 219 in 2019. But until we get to that point, a happy new year, a merry Christmas, a happy holidays to you all. And until you hear from us again, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. He who surrenders hope, surrenders life. We hope to have you with us all of 2019 right here on the IPC Podcast. But until then... Good night, everyone. Thank you.